Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Yeah, let's do that. I'm a little uh, concerned because I had uh, something happen to my computer earlier this morning and it said, uh, you know, massive uh, virus invasion, all kinds of other things. And I was talking... Uh, it actually said, don't shut your computer down. Don't do this. Don't do that. So, of course, I put my computer down. Turn it back on again, and it's all gone away for now. Uh, this happened to me a little while ago. My, my malware doesn't show anything uh, up on it, but uh, there, there's a problem. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Someone tried to hack into my writeyourlaws.com website, and we found an extra user, and it's like, who are you people? <laughs> Go away. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, so that was taken care of. Security beefed up. So, there shouldn't be a problem. But on the other hand, if it cuts out like it did again, I'm going to be really upset. Uh, there's enough problems with uh, blog talk cutting off my signal arbitrarily and, and other things happening um, that it just, it just you know, makes me really angry under the, the, sort of the term technical difficulties. Even the big guys have technical difficulties. So if something happens to the show, uh, that's, uh, you know, I, I might just take my computer down to my local uh, Halifax computer shop and say, hey, what's in here? <laughs> what's going on? Uh, we'll see if they can uh, diagnose it. But other than that, let's uh, continue on with the program as usual. It's another exciting week here at Action Radio. First thing is I'm very excited about uh, Friday because I'll be dropping into uh, Representative Matt Gates' uh, little open town hall meeting up in the town of Jay, which is the northern part of San Jose County, which is right pretty much on the Alabama line. And uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting place. A lot of uh, peanut farms, cotton farms. Uh, it's kind of rural. It's the space up there. There's, you know, room. Uh, they don't have the traffic problems they have down here. But it's a, it's a place that um, – it's one of those places that Matt Gates seems to go. Pensacola – obviously because it's the biggest city uh, around here in Escambia County. Uh, and his, his counties are, I think, Escambia, Santa Rosa, and I think maybe parts of Okaloosa County as well. And so that's, that's the first district. That's the, the first congressional district of Florida. So that's where he is, mostly military, things like that. Um, his staff has this amendment because I gave it to him twice, <laughs> you know, and I've emailed it and I sent our press releases. So uh, everybody should have it, um, unless, of course, you're getting a, a, a malware scan on my writeyourlaws.com website. Uh, you may not, but uh, I... I've checked it out a few times myself and been able to go with no problem. So if you want to check our constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money, uh, please feel free because it's easy to do. Uh, it's right there. And so uh, um, that's what's going on. And what if I should do backups on all my things and just uh, copy my bills and especially the, the, the big ones. Um, I shouldn't have to do that, but you never know. I mean, everything's supposed to be backed up. Everyone, oh, that's not true. I've got a hard drive that backs up everything. So that should be okay. Anyway, trying to take precautions. Um, without going too extreme, but uh, uh, as we get more and more um, powerful, popular, um, and to have more impact on the deep state, I expect things to get worse. And so, yeah, I need some major league friends, you know, to uh, help keep us going here. And so we'll see how that goes. All right. So the biggest problem right now that I found uh, last weekend, Friday, looking into the news, um, is the fact that, uh, as we all know, we have millions of illegal aliens, and the problems of those illegal aliens branded the legals are just really starting to show up now. And so everything's going to get stressed. The highways are getting stressed. A lot of jobs are going to be taken. Uh, resources will be used up. Illegal aliens will be getting driver's license, having accidents on the roads. There's going to be a huge increase in crime from MS-13 and gangs and things like that. Uh, and just the life, the quality of life just drops. Wages will be depressed. Um, services will be horrible. Hospitals will be filled. Uh, and one of the worst problems is going to be the, the government schools. 
See, the nice thing about a private school, private schools don't have to uh, uh, accept illegal aliens. Uh, this is why our entire nation should be private schools. Uh, that would solve this problem, you know, because the, uh, um, the Supreme Court, at least for now, can't force uh, schools to take, you know, private schools to take illegal aliens because, first of all, they're criminals. Why would you put crim- criminals in your school? Uh, that, that, that's, that would make the Supreme Court an accessory uh, to the crime. Uh, I would contend that they are, in fact, an accessory to the crime of uh, illegal aliens coming out of the country by allowing them the means to stay here. They're every bit as bad as a sanctuary city. And that's my list of, uh, of, of nasty things that uh, so problem. So, so Supreme Court is aiding and abetting illegal Asian, illegal. Hang on. Supreme Court. Let me try and write it first. Supreme Court is aiding and abetting illegal aliens staying here. That's a crime, by the way. You know, just like if you if you drive the car to a bank robbery, you don't have to walk into the bank to be part of the crime. <laughs> in the same way, the Supreme Court uh, saying that illegal aliens have to be educated in our schools, uh, in our government schools, that is a crime. The Supreme Court made an illegal decision. They, they violated the law. They, they used the power of the court to allow illegal aliens uh, a ridiculous advantage to shelter them from the law. Well, they can't do that. <laughs> you can't. That'd be like, well, bank robbery is illegal for bank robbery is legal for illegal aliens, but the rest of the Americans can get you know thrown in jail. Uh, and so that's that's insane. That's illogical. That's irrational. But that's what the court does. And I was, it was one of the last comments I had on here. I have a big list of comments for for this hour. But one of them was that the the court seems to have this kind of mythical. Um, Mount Olympus, you know, Zeus-like status where, where people, you know, say the, this ridiculous expression, the Supreme Court ruled. Hmm. I'm like, ruled? Really? The Supreme Court ruled? And how exactly did they rule? They're not a monarchy. The Supreme Court ruled. I'm going to put that down here. The Supreme Court ruled. They issued a decree. <laughs> I can't do that either. They have no legislative power. It says so in the Constitution because uh, only the Congress has legislative power. So they can't make policy. Um, Panky's Panky's texting me. I got to uh, uh, that um, that there's still a problem on our website. Okay, I'm not going to go to my website during the show. I'll check it after the show, but I'm not going to pull up uh, writeyourlaws.com uh, at this particular time until we get this resolved. And I'll I'll call them after the show. I'm just going to pray that nothing happens during the show, um, which would really uh, piss me off, uh, as the saying goes. Anyway, back to my train of thought. So the idea that the Supreme Court rules uh, is irrational. The Supreme Court doesn't rule. The Supreme Court can't rule. In fact, we fought a revolution so that nobody could rule. That's the whole point of this country. Nobody rules. We have a separation of powers. We have what they call co-equal branches of government. Well, that means is that no branch of government is stronger than any other branch of government. So in the same way, the Supreme Court, under their Article Three powers, can, in a case, uh, put an injunction or, or uh, suspend a law uh, passed by Congress if that law is found to be unconstitutional. For example, Clinton's assault weapon ban, that was purely a violation of the Second Amendment, which would, since the Constitution is supreme to laws passed by Congress, they could do that. But in the same way, the Congress could also take a Supreme Court opinion and overrule that if they find that in conflict with the Constitution. And this is exactly what they should do with Plyler v. Doe. Now, I'm going to talk to Jonathan about this in the, in the second hour, um, but uh, we're actually talking off the air about the most important section of, of the 14th Amendment, Section 5. The Congress have the, have the power um, to uh, – let me see if I can – let me get to exactly because I'm not, I'm not good at memorizing things. A little pocket constitution. Here we go. I'm at 13, 14, 14, 14. I love the 14th Amendment. It's one of my favorites, uh, especially the first section. 
Section 5, the Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. Well, that means they can enforce the 14th Amendment by law. What that means is they can say that all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof means exactly what it says, that people that are subject to our jurisdiction have no jurisdiction anywhere else, that they have no jurisdiction to a foreign country, that they have no allegiance, that they have no citizenship, that they have no connection in any way to any foreign power. They are exclusively allied and a part of and owe their, their everything to the United States. See, this is, this is the clause that separates uh, you know, the illegal aliens and says they have no rights in, under the Constitution. Besides the fact, the preamble does too, which says, we the people of the United States. It doesn't say, we the people, comma, of the United States. It says, we the people of the United States. Like, it's all, it's all one thing. Uh, it's, yeah, so it's, we the people of the United States, send us a comma. I didn't take Pianchi's call early, even though I'm in the middle of a, of a heated monologue, and I have plenty to do this hour, but let me just check and see what's going on. Pianchi, uh, anything else on my computer that you found? Or is it just the... Uh, Oh, no, you can't talking. go to your site. Mine won't. <clears throat> My system won't let, let me go there. <clears throat> but, you know, it's very interesting you talk about these schools that uh, uh-huh. have to take these illegals. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking that this put an end to that because who in the heck is going to pick up the cost? It's, it's not the, it's the government. It's the people who's having to take on these extra burdens because they're paying for the schools. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, and there's a couple things that where it really comes down to, in fact, I had this problem in my own county. In fact, I was at a, a school board meeting, uh, not school, but I had the, we had the, uh, the superintendent of our schools here in Santa Rosa County, Florida, was in a meeting, this is like a year ago. Uh, and uh, I said, well, the first thing you need to do is check the citizenship of the parents and uh, make sure you're not bringing illegal aliens into the school. And I asked her, I think it was Karen Barber is her name. I don't know if she's still um, superintendent. I, I don't keep up with local affairs as much as I probably should. But I asked her, I said, how many illegal aliens are in our school? And she says, well, I can't ask that. I said, of course you can ask that. These are criminals. <laughs> what do you mean you can't ask that? And of course, all her minions, you know, immediately stopped, got up and said, the Supreme Court has ruled. I said, the Supreme Court doesn't rule. <laughs> That's a bunch of nonsense. They're not, they're not gods. They're not, they're not you, know, you know, Zeus on Mount Olympus. They don't issue decrees. Not, they don't have Thor's hammer. I mean, what's wrong with you people? They don't rule. They don't rule on anything. They, 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 they uh, write opinions, you know, and if their opinion does not jive with the Constitution, then it's meaningless, <laughs> you know, and that's exactly what happened. But they said, no, Ply, you know, I said, are you talking about Ply Levy Doe, that bogus Texas case? Well, well, yes, we can't even ask if they're citizens. That's a bunch of nonsense. Of course you can ask if they're citizens. Anyway, this is how it went. But a lot of people are convinced that they can't do that. So the very thing that we know they can do, which is object and kick the illegal aliens out of schools, uh, is the very thing they think they cannot do because, quote, the Supreme Court ruled. That's how we got stuck with Roe v. Wade for 50 years. They think the Supreme Court ruled. And the Supreme Court doesn't rule. Yeah, and then you, then you have these bleeding-hard liberals right. that put on their particular act, which furthers tilts things right over the top, where mm-hmm. you have what you have now. And you know, it's something else, too. Uh, I was privileged some information mm-hmm. about a bill that's trying to that was being considered in uh, one of our state's capitals. Uh And the bill is designed to prevent adversaries of the United States from buying land in this state. Well, in a jam-packed room and even outside uh, standing, all the people that were there to speak against the bill was Uh Chinese Who's here in the U.S. on work visas? Well, of course. Yeah, they have no opinion here. They're on a work visa. 
They're not citizens. They have no stake here. They're, they they're under no our jurisdiction. Here whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. One had to be taken out by the police. Yeah. Well, One they're probably they're removed probably, by the police. Yeah, I'm sure they all work for the Chinese Communist Party. Look, I want to say that issue. It's a good issue, but I don't want to talk about land today. I want to get back to our, our problem of these uh, illegal aliens in our schools. And here's how bad it is. Uh, let me just tell you. Here's an article from the New York Post. And this one was... that got taken out, he works at uh, one of the universities teaching uh, well computers. So you absolutely yeah, probably right. under they, uh, he's practically probably illegal. Under Chinese communist, yeah, it's probably in, in Chinese your Communist Party grant. Yeah, he's a Chinese Communist Party grant probably. Let me get this one yeah, here. Sorry, so border to take crisis. Point. That's okay. I can always get back on. Border crisis hits classrooms as unaccompanied minors flood New York schools. And this is October 30th of last year. So it's not as bad as it is right now. I haven't got the, the latest articles, but they don't seem to be coming out yet. This is Kerry J. Byrne, B-Y-R-N-E, who says America's crisis at the border is now a crisis in New York public schools. The Biden, excuse me, illegal Brandon is flooding New York City and Long Island communities with thousands of, quote, unaccompanied immigrant minors. In other words, you know, students that shouldn't be here captured crossing the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, often arriving here, as the Post recently reported, via clandestine flights in the middle of the night. So in other words, Texas and I guess Florida probably, too, are flying in the illegals into these sanctuary cities saying, here, this is your problem. You're Democrats. You caused this. You take care of them. This is data from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services confirms that the New York area is a hotspot for shipping children rounded up illegally crossing the border without guardians. So in other words, they're blaming uh, American states you know, for sending illegals to other American states when they shouldn't be here in the first place because the federal government isn't doing the damn job. They're actually causing the problem, bringing these people in. But I, I don't know, have you seen any evidence of this in Missouri? Do you have schools that are, that are overcrowded? Because apparently American students are, are not being allowed to uh, uh, come in. They're, they're taking the illegals first, probably because they get money for it. Do you, what, what do you think? What do you hear about this problem? I haven't heard of the problem in Missouri around the area where I know pretty well. Uh-huh. In those areas, the Americans are running from the schools, and not from well, from the schools because the schools are located in cities that's uh, crime infested. Uh-huh. Well, here's a question for you, um, and we'll be talking about this probably in the course of this hour with Jonathan in the next hour. Is there a right to an education? Well, it's not a right to a quality education because there's no way to define that. No, that's not the question. Is yeah, there a right? Do, do we? Is it a, is it a right, an established right, that uh, that people have a right to an education? Well, the, the people that stand for it, yes. Okay, but if you're so, not right. paying so, for it, so you like me coming into your house, having right. a right to your pizza. <laughs> well, all American taxpayers pay for an education. That's not the question. The question is. Do you have a right? Does the government guarantee that you will have an education? And it's going to be obviously a taxpayer expense. I'm not talking about the cost of it, but do you, is, there a, is there a right to an education? Well, I've seen state legislation yes or no. or state constitutions. Yes or no. Let's, 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 let me get you a yes or no. Is there a right to an education? I would say the state, I'd say the state has a right to provide a quality education. Yes. No, that, that providing is not the question either. Of course the states can provide an education. The federal government can, can use money to provide an education. That's not my question. American a, a citizen of the state has a right to have access to education, yes. Access isn't the question either. Not, forget access. Okay, obviously people – all right, so let's get this other way. We can, we can pay for it. We can set up a system. We can have a government education system. System. People can have access. We can't block access. Uh, of course, the non-citizens, and that's what we'll get. But do you have a basic right to an education, yes or no? Well, you got to better define the question you ask. 
The answer is no. Okay. The answer is no. There's no right to an education because there's no right and to anything. There's no right to health care. There's, there's no right to shelter. There's no right. No, we don't. In other words, the problem is there's, there's two. There's two. There's two ways to look at rights. There's the correct way, which is a right is the firewall. It's the gut what the government cannot prevent you from doing. There is no prior restraint. They cannot stop you. So the right to keep and bear arms means you have an absolute right to own and carry firearms. Okay. Now, if you use those firearms, that's statutory law. That's a completely different question. Same with education. Do you have a right to an education? Is it automatically guaranteed that you will get, you know, an education that the government can give you something? And the answer is no, because no right can ever well, you, give you. Anything. You gotta, you gotta explain what government you're talking about. Are you talking about federal government? Or are you talking about state or local government? Well, let's let's just talk about basic rights. Do you have a right to health care? And I'm not going to get sidetracked on this. I've got to get back on point. I've only got 40 some odd minutes left. Do you have a right? Yes, to you have a, a right to. You have a right to. You have a right to uh, health care. You have a right to education. No, you don't. I now, disagree with you. Do not. Unless we get into a more detailed definition of what we're talking about, then that's where things can sway either toward a yes or to the no. I disagree. I'll tell you why. Because the rights are defined as what you have. You know, you can have a right to something. Because if you have to take something from somebody else, it's not a right. In other words, if you take tax money to give somebody a gun because of the Second Amendment, that's not right. If you take tax money to give somebody an education, that's not right. That's not. It doesn't make it a right. It doesn't mean you can't have it, but it doesn't make it a right. So we have to. But have I don't have time on this. I, right now. I, I don't have time. I got to get back to the issue. We can talk about this with Jonathan. But uh, well, I'm going to ask you a quick question. Have sure. you ever heard of the Little Rock Nine? I have, but I don't know the details. Well, see, that's why some of your questions are out there, and they're not completely packed because there's things that have happened here that you're not aware of. But go ahead to your to your talk. I'll uh-huh. listen. Okay. Well, that sounds good. In fact, I got two calls all of a sudden, and they're both um, from uh, blocked. Number. So here's what I'm going to do. In fact, I, I, forgot, I think I forgot to set up live chat. So my two callers that are on the line, I'm going to set up live chat right now. You guys can get a free account and tell me who you are because I don't take numbers. Now, they, these could be international calls, too. That would be the other thing. So I want to hear about that, too. So callers, get back to my point. Callers, please identify my first name. I'll take a break and I can actually screen them. So this is why I need a producer and location. So we'll give them a minute to... Uh, if they'll write a show in live chat and tell me who they are, then I'll get to them in a little bit. All right. So the basic, let me get another, here's another way to look at this problem. All right. So the problem is, as I've seen in several articles, um, and there's another one here from Fox, let me get the Fox article. This will, this will also help define the problem that uh, a lot of American parents are objecting. Uh, here we go. This is the Fox article. Parents infuriated as migrants, in other words, illegal aliens, uh, enroll in Chicago schools without health records after years of COVID rules. So you've got a double standard here right now. In fact, this is one of the big problems. This is the double standard. So this is from Fox. Uh, is it, we have this? I know this is recent. Elizabeth Heckman, Fox News. Have we got a date for me here? May 25th. So just a few days ago. Said Chicago area parents are voicing their outrage over public schools allowing migrant, in other words, illegal, children to enroll without health documentation as cities across the U.S. are dealing with an influx of, quote, migrants into their communities. Mother Jefferson Preston told Fox News, Fox and Friends First, which is now a liberal news show, on Thursday to discuss the hypocrisy of requiring vaccination records from residents while migrants are allowed to enroll without such documents. That would be a violation of the Equal Protection Clause for a couple of reasons. One, migrants shouldn't be in schools uh, unless they're citizens. 
uh, and or lawful public, you know, lawful permanent residents. Uh, and two, you can't discriminate. You can't have one group being able to register for school without, you know, health records and the other having to have them. That's just discriminatory. They say right now in the school district in which we live, we have to provide residency, citizenship, health records, and vaccination records on an almost annual basis. So there's discrimination. Just quickly, let me see anything in this New York article. Uh, all right, so pretty much said that. All right, let's check, check another one here. And then I'll get to the Plyler video case, which is the whole point of my discussion this hour. And this is from the New American, which for those that don't know is for a publication of the John Birch Society. And if you have a problem with that, then, uh, then we should talk. We should talk. Illegal immigrant, illegal immigrant kids may overwhelm U.S. schools. And this is August 8th, 2014. So this has been a problem for a while. They say with more than 50,000 unaccompanied children apprehended at the U.S. border since October, school, uh, school districts across America are bracing for an unimaginable wave of these children flooding into their schools in upcoming weeks. This is Obama. Okay, so this is what happened when Obama tried to fundamentally change our country by flooding us with uh, illegals and everybody else. He says, we haven't started school yet, so we are just holding our breath to see what's going to come of the first day of school. So this has been a problem coming for a long time. So now the question is, oh, siren going by my window. So the question now is, why, what's the basis of all this? Why are these illegals here? And what it comes to is Plyler v. Doe. So I'm going to pull up this case right now. This is the case, just to give you the basics of, basis of it. Then I'm going to do a quick screen of my uh, phone calls here. Uh, see, up oh, we got. Uh, okay, so Warren's on the line. Warren, you got a call from a, a number that's not blocked. Okay, I don't take calls from unidentified numbers. And so then I got another call. I'm not sure what uh, sirens is. Yeah, it's yeah, it is that early. I get sirens out my door all the time. Marcos on the on the uh, line from uh, is on the the live chat from uh, the Netherlands. So I got uh, Warren on one. I don't have time for your call this hour, possibly the second hour. Uh, and secondly, don't call from block numbers. <laughs> you just can't do that. And who's my other caller? My other caller, I need to identify, you to identify yourself too, unless Warren's taking up two lines. I'll take it in about a few minutes once I get uh, the basis of this case out here. I'll do a quick phone screen. Okay, so Plyler, here's the, uh, the, the basis. This guy, James Plyler, was superintendent of the Tyler Independent School District. And what he said was that, you know, we're not going to pay for illegal aliens in our schools. All right. So let's get, uh, here's the, um, here's what the court case says. This is the Legal Information Institute Cornell Law School. It's my favorite source for, um, for legal stuff. And this is a Plyler v. Doe case. We don't know who Doe is. Doe is probably an illegal, um, probably Mexican, because those are the folks who filed the lawsuit. And this is September, this is the, um, Case was argued December 1st, 1981, decided June 15th, 1982. Held, a Texas statute which withholds from local school districts any state funds for the education of children who were not, quote, legally admitted into the United States, in other words, they're criminals, and which authorizes local school districts to deny enrollment to such children, violates the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. Why this is wrong is because the 14th Amendment applies to American citizens. It does not apply to illegal aliens. So invoking a clause of the 14th Amendment to apply to illegal aliens makes this decision wrong. It makes it bogus. It makes it moot. It doesn't exist. And I'll explain a couple things on the 14th Amendment. Take a quick break, check out my callers, and be right back to you. 14th Amendment, yeah, that's true one. what you said, by the Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, if you have a short comment, fine. I just don't want to get off track. On this, but if you're if you're right in line with what we're with this Plyler Bido case, then please please jump in. 
So it says all, this is section um, one of Amendment 14. All persons born or naturalized in the United States, okay, that, and, it says, and subject to the jurisdiction thereof. Now, I've explained this over and over and over again. This is not born on U.S. dirt. It is not what this means. I've got the original 14th Amendment debate. I've got an article on it, and we'll, we'll see if we get to that. But what it means is that if you're, if you're subject to the jurisdiction of the United States, your parents are American citizens. At least one of them is an American citizen. Because citizenship does not flow because you were born on U.S. dirt. It flows from parents to children if those parents are under the jurisdiction of the United States. If your parents are under the jurisdiction of some other country, your citizenship is of that country. That's how it works. If you're born here to ambassadors, it's very clear in the Constitution because it mentions it. You're not citizens. So if ambassadors' kids aren't citizens, how can anybody else's kids be citizens? Go ahead. Pianchi. Well, you know, another example of that, if you live in one town, like I forget what town you live in, what is it? Uh, hold on. What, what community you live in? I'm in Santa Rosa County. I'm in Milton, Florida. St. Rosa. St. Rosa. So right. a parent that lives in St. Rosa County cannot put enroll their child in the next county. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's true. Because so, they have no jurisdiction, right? Okay. But that's, that's, but right. that's, you, not, you have your but that's geographical. There's been cases like that. And people yeah, that went to jail for doing it, too. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a good point, but that's geographical jurisdiction. So that actually illustrates the point by bringing up something else. So in other words, people think of, of jurisdiction as only geographical, within a county, within a city, within a state, within the country. That's not true. The 14th Amendment, and it's very clear by the debate, the 14th Amendment is a citizenship jurisdiction, and it involves the citizenship of the United States. And it says very clearly that if you're not under U.S. jurisdiction, in other words, you're a citizen of another country, then... Uh, then, then if you have kids, then your kids are of that country. In the same way, if an illegal alien from Mexico goes to Egypt on business, let's say they're very successful, basically a criminal who's got a lot of money, right? And they get in trouble in Egypt. They break, they break Egyptian law. They're not going to go to the U.S. embassy. They're going to go to the Mexican embassy. Why? Because that's where their jurisdiction is, okay? They may be in the country illegally, but the United States has no, no jurisdiction for them. They have no responsibility for them. It's not like we could go to the embassy of France if we get in trouble in uh, Egypt also. That would be stupid, right? So in the same way, there is no jurisdiction. And then it says, and this is the point that Pianchi is getting to, uh, it says that citizens of the United States are also citizens. It says here, they're, and this is, uh, okay, let me just start at the beginning. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. So citizenship jurisdiction also extends to the state. So the state of Texas, in this case, has jurisdictions over citizens of Texas. Well, in order to be a citizen of Texas, you have to be a citizen of the United States. Illegal aliens are citizens, not citizens of the United States. Therefore, they can't be citizens of Texas. Therefore, Texas can have no jurisdiction over them, which means that Texas can have no responsibility over them. And Texas does not have to pay for their education. And that would have been the proper verdict of Plyler v. Doe. But that's not what they decided. Pianchi, what do you think? You're absolutely right. That that case, I don't know what level of court it was at, but it should have been uh, ignored. 
the state should have went on and done what it's supposed to do. Yeah, it should have been ignored, but it wasn't. Looks like we got uh, Sarge on the line. Let me take him for a, a quick call, but I want to get back to this case because it is critical. Hey, Sarge, welcome back to Action Radio. What's up? Hey, how you doing there, Greg? What's going on? Why? Hey, how's it going with you, sir? What's uh, what's your what's your uh, point to, with Plyler v. Doe and illegal education for uh, or illegal well, alien I'd education? Like to, two things I've heard today. The the, the uh, question you just asked me second, but in response to your question, when you asked Pianki about uh, uh, liberties, uh, the one right. thing Barack Obama got right with his interpretation of the Constitution was is that essentially the Bill of Rights is a is a um, a document of negative liberties. It's not something the government gives to you, does for you. That's the only thing you got right about it. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I don't like the terminology negative. It has negative implications, but, uh, but yeah. In other I words, know, but you, you, you and I both know what it means. Right, exactly. You don't have a right to The anything. government is negatively constrained from doing things to or against you. And that's basically what uh, the Bill of Rights is, basically. Well, they, than, can't give, they, they can't exercise prior restraint. In other words, they can't, you know, the right to keep and bear arms means that they can't touch anything that you do to own and carry firearms until such time as you break a law, at which point you're in use and use is outside the Second Amendment. But you can't have, you well, can't notice how, Go ahead, real quickly, and then I want to well, get back on topic. They're always talking about some kind of positive right that the government has to give you for which they got to tax other people to give you for. Those aren't that's, right. That's, for me, that is really the dividing line. Yeah, no, that's no, you're right. Always want to keep some kind of positive right. Well, see, I don't like dividing into, into positive and negative rights because it, it, it gets people confused and it takes you in an area. Uh, I would just say that there are rights which you can exercise without government interference. That's what a right is. Uh, and the firewall is the Bill of Rights, which specifically outlines certain rights uh, that the government specifically can't touch. Doesn't mean those are all the rights you have, but what it means is that those are the ones spe- specifically enumerated that the government cannot touch for any reason. But education isn't there, okay? Because education, if you take tax money from one person to give to another, that is not a right. That is that doesn't mean it can't be done. Otherwise, we'd never have have you know government funding services. But that does not make it a right. A right is something you exercise individually without any government interference of any kind, nor drawing from the resources, time, or or, or property of somebody else. That's what a right is. Does that make sense? Right. Okay, that makes. I'll I'll go along that for now. But I'd really like to talk about the Fourteenth Amendment and this. Okay. Yeah. I want to revisit it. I want to stay on case. Yeah, we can revisit it later, but. Okay. But hold the Fourteenth Amendment specifically. No, no stop. No, I no, think. no, no, no. No, hold it. Hold it. I, I'm running out of time. I got 29 minutes. I want to make sure I get this in. Okay. Now we're going to have Jonathan the next hour. That's more of a discussion hour. But for right now, I've got to tell you why this case is so bogus. So hang with me. We'll get there. All right. First hour of Monday is usually I kind of monopolize it. Uh, second hour is much more discussion, and third hour is, is me and Dorothy talking about something totally different. Okay, so here's what they're talking about. So, so this, the, what it held was that, um, I'm just a recap for people, a Texas statute which withholds from local school districts any funds for the education of children who were not legally admitted into the United States. The fact that they're not legally admitted immediately says that they get nothing. And that's the whole point. If you're not legally admitted, you get nothing. Then it says, subpart A, the illegal aliens who are plaintiffs in the case challenging the statutes may claim the benefit of the Equal Protection Clause, which provides that no state shall deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws, which brings up the next problem. 
the definition of person. A person under the Constitution is an American citizen because it says very clearly in the preamble, we, the people of the United States. And a lot of people go, well, that's just a preamble. It doesn't mean anything. No, that's not true. <laughs> it does. And I found an article here. Uh, not that I need an extra source, but if it's in the Constitution, it's binding. That's the whole point of it. There's no fluff language in the Constitution. This is from the National Constitution Center, the preamble. And they say in a paragraph, let me see if I can find an author for you here. No, I guess it's written by all of them. Oh, wait, no. Erwin Sharinsky and Michael Stokes Paulson are the authors of this. And they said, it says, the word preamble, while accurate, does not quite capture the full importance of this provision. Preamble might be taken, uh, we think wrongly, to imply that these words are merely an opening rhetorical flourish or frill without meaningful effect. To be sure, preamble usually conveys the idea that this provision does not itself confer or delineate powers of government or rights of the citizens. Those are set forth in the substantive articles and amendments that follow in the main body of the Constitution. It was well understood at the time of enactment that preambles in legal documents were not themselves substantive provisions and thus should not be read to contradict, expand, or contract the document's substantive terms. And here's the key paragraph. But that does not mean the Constitution's preamble lacks its own legal force. Quite the contrary. It is the provision of the document that declares the enactment of the provisions that follow. Indeed, the preamble has sometimes been termed the enacting clause of the Constitution, in that it declares the fact of adoption of the Constitution once sufficient states had ratified it. We, the people of the United States, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Okay, so we got Pianchi and we got Sarge. So Pianchi and I, I'm going to bring you in for a second here, have talked about the fact. And that's that true. Yeah, go ahead. So once you, uh, you know where I'm going. No, with that's true. That's why I call it, yeah. call it free. It's prefix. Yep. It's not the base detail, the substance of the document itself. It's just lead you up to it. No, that's not true. No, it actually has legal force. And I'll tell you why, because we've talked about this. Uh, and I'll, I'll prove it to you. Because you and I have both talked about the fact the Constitution's always in force. That once the Constitution was ordained and established, that's it. Unless it's amended. It, and there's no emergency clause. There's no, you know, temporary restraining clause. There's no public health clause. There's no overriding clause. There's no suspension clause, restriction clause, compelling state interest clause. None of that stuff exists except in court cases which are subordinate to the Constitution, which means the Constitution rules. So the, the preamble is, in fact, an enacting clause. It's the clause that makes the rest of the Constitution viable. It says that we, the people of the United States, in other words, citizens, all right, are covered by this Constitution, and we, the people, through the states, enact it over the federal government, and it is always in force. That's what the preamble means. So I, I would argue that the preamble is absolutely enacting and legislation and not flourishing language, as the article just stated. Pianchi? So, so you're saying well, that the... Uh, okay, well, Sarge will get to you. Oh, Sarge will get to you. Trust me, we're going to keep it real disciplined today. So Pianchi first, then I'll Sarge. I'll get Sarge. It's just like Pianchi? the Declaration of Independence, and people take that as being the Constitution itself. <clears throat> it's not. But when you get down into the amendments, the Article of Amendments, that's the substance of the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Now, you can have things that lead up to it, like you were saying, with the preamble, but there's no directive in it other than making a statement, a strong statement, which is permissible. Say that one more time. I got distracted for a second. 
Well, I don't forget it already. <laughs> <laughs> so what was permissible? You said you said something was permissible, and I just I was just trying to get my next section lined up here. I'm sorry, I, I had to do 16 things at once to run the show. Sorry, you had a comment. Let's get your comment real quick. I'll check it on the podcast. Well, I, I, so I just want to make sure I understand your point here. I'm not. I, I mean, I, I get it generally, but I want to try to narrow it, focus it a little bit. So you're saying that the uh, the uh, preamble, the, the 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 intent, the mission statement that the preamble is is a crystallization of the rest of the document. No, what I'm saying is that the when the the preamble is critical, is just as effective and just as legal and just as powerful as every other section of the Constitution, because it says we the people of the United States, which defines what the Constitution covers, and then it says do ordain and establish this Constitution. That's the part that makes it viable. That's the part that that uh, brings it into into action. That's the part that creates it. That's the phrase that that creates the Constitution. It is ordained and established. That's what brings it into force. So to say that's not part of the Constitution and not part of the law of the land and not part of the supreme law of the land doesn't make sense. Why would it be there? Because nothing else in the Constitution ordains or establishment establishes it except the preamble. Therefore, the preamble is vital. Well, it's as vital as any other section. So then that means that everything else that follows the preamble has to fit within the parameters of that mission statement, right? No, it means that everything that follows is ordained and established by the preamble. That's what it means. Let me get back to Kyle V. Doe. So here's section B. This is this, now, the person that wrote this was, was Judge Brennan. I don't say justice because the Constitution doesn't say justice. So this, this was the majority opinion. It was only a five-to-four decision, so it only, it only squeaked by by one vote, not what I call a really overriding majority. So what he said was, Brennan, who was one of the most liberal judges ever to serve on the Supreme Court, he says the discrimination contained in the Texas statute cannot be considered rational unless it furthers some substantial goal of the state. First of all, it is not the, ju- the job of the Supreme Court to determine if Texas law is rational or not. It's there to determine whether it's constitutional, for that is their only jurisdiction. In cases of law and equity, which means money, not redistributing money, but simply money. And that is in Article 3. So in this clause, he exceeds the authority of the Supreme Court. And the second thing is uh, to try to determine if it's a substantial, further some substantial goal of the state. Well, that's not his job either. His, again, it comes under the constitutionality. Is it constitutional for Texans to take people who are not citizens of the United States, not citizens of Texas, whom the United States has no jurisdiction over, uh, except to remove, and who Texas has no responsibility over to pay for their education? And the simple answer is they don't. They don't have that responsibility. He says they do. That's why he's wrong. Okay? So that gets so, so substantial. But, and here's the third point. Why would it not be a substantial goal of the state of Texas to remove payments to people who can't be here? I would think that would be a substantial goal. Gentlemen? Well, you know, you need, we need to look – I would like to look at the background of that judge. And this is why – this is why appointing judges based on their background, even though it's not a formal requirement, can become a problem. Yeah. Because apparently this person has some some sentiment for illegals and believe that they should have access to uh, the things that America has put in place and effectively pay for it. Well, the, 
there's also five judges that, that taught this way, too. It's not just Brennan. Now, there's the Brennan Center, and I think it's in New York or somewhere. You can look up the Brennan Center. He is one of the most liberal, worst judges ever to serve on the Supreme Court. Sorry, you got a quick comment, and then I want to get back to the case. There's no doubt he is. It sounds to me like he was simply inserting his own personal policy preferences into a law. A law could be a bad law. It doesn't mean it's unconstitutional. I think it's a problem a lot of these judges have in their decision. All right. Now, here's what gets interesting. He he says, although undocumented resident aliens, in other words, illegals, cannot be treated as a suspect class, that's wrong, too. And And he says, and although education is not a fundamental right, so Brennan acknowledges that education is not a fundamental right. So as to require, and he also goes on to say, so as to require the state to justify the statutory classification by showing that it serves a compelling government interest. That's one of those other bogus things. So he even says it's yeah. not, education is not a fundamental right. Well, if it's not a fundamental right, then what are we doing here? Well, yeah. he's, he's throwing that in there trying to, to put legitimacy what he said about the illegals have a right to it. He's trying mm-hmm. to say that a citizen within a jurisdiction don't have a fundamental right to the education that they're paying for. I think no. Okay. Well, illegal aliens don't. Even if illegal, first of all, illegal, illegal aliens cannot legally pay taxes. They can't do that because we're they're not represented by the that. U.S. government. Okay, so but but I, uh, go ahead. I think that Brennan is trying to mix up the confusion worse than what it is. Yeah, it gets worse. Then he says, or sorry, you got a quick comment? Quickly. Yeah, Brennan's just making decisions completely unmoored from constitutional reasoning. I mean, he's completely just just left the farm, left the reservation completely when he did, when he did this uh-huh. decision. But the court does this all the time. Look at Roe v. Wade. I'm not going to get into it. I just want to point yeah. out that the court consistently, since Marbury versus Madison, 1803, has consistently done whatever they felt like they could, including giving themselves yeah. powers they don't have. All right, let me give you another one here. It's, uh, he says, nevertheless, the Texas statute imposes a lifetime hardship on a discrete class of children not accountable for their disabling status. Why would it impose a lifetime hardship on people that can't be here, that should be deported, that should be removed, that should go with their parents who are responsible for them back to their home countries? It can't possibly impose a lifetime hardship unless you're implying that illegal aliens can stay here for a lifetime, right? And that they they should be separated from their parents because their parents committed a crime for which they're going to be deported back to their uh, country of residence. What we're saying, well, what we're exactly. In other words, the, the children are not being imposed on as a, you know, who, who's committed the crime against the children? The parents. The parents have committed a crime against their children by making them criminals by bringing them here. That to me, uh, I don't know if you call it, uh, what do they call well, that crime? Contributing to the delinquency of a minor? Well, depending upon their age, their children are, are exempt by a reason of an infancy. They can't be uh, convicted well, they're of infants, they're crime. Not going to school. Yeah, but they're not going to go to school if they're infants. No. I mean, the in the state of Illinois, infancy was under 12 years old for purposes of charging a person with a crime. Well, no, we're not charging the kids with a crime. In fact, I'm, I'm, I want to leave the kids alone. I just want them to go home with their parents. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm just saying that, 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 you know, I don't think they could be considered criminals even if their parents did something criminal. But nonetheless, their status means they, they remain with their parents wherever their parents go. Yeah, but their well, parents, the point are, that, are, yeah. Their parents are, are criminals for bringing their kids here and making them basically illegal aliens. That's on the parents. Right. Looks like Jonathan called it early, so I'll bring him on. 
Go ahead, Bianchi. And, and real quick, how do you know these kids, how do you know these are the parents of these kids? You have no way to know. Well, you're supposed to do genetic Legally. tracking, and that's that's being abandoned by the by illegal branded. But yeah, but but the point is that the, the kids, you know, it's like my my uh, asset forfeiture bill for illegal aliens. It does not victimize the kids, but the parents have victimized the kids. So I am not responsible as an American citizen for illegal aliens victimizing their kids by bringing them into the country illegally. That's on them. That's a further crime. Not only do they have the crime of entering the country illegally, they have the crime of bringing their kids in illegally. That's two crimes. And, and here's why really technology. Yeah, but no, gentlemen, hold up, hold up, hold up. Let's get back to the case. I want to get a comment on this here. When this, when he says, when Brennan says this imposes a lifetime hardship, lifetime hardship. So what he's really saying is he's granting amnesty to these illegal aliens because he says not only do they get an, uh, an entire education at taxpayer expense for being here illegally, but this will prepare them for being here for a lifetime. This is an amnesty decision, and the Supreme Court has no jurisdiction to grant amnesty. That can only be done by legislation from, from Congress. He's violated the Constitution again. I've got, what, four so far? Gentlemen? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Here's the last one before I bring in Jonathan. He also, by requiring American taxpayers to pay for foreign nationals, he's also mandated foreign aid, right? Because these aren't American citizens. These are foreign kids in our schools. So we are benefiting a foreign country. We are benefiting people who have, are under the jurisdiction of a foreign country in our schools. So not only has he mandated amnesty, he's mandated foreign aid. Gentlemen? There's one more you missed. There's one more you missed. We've What's also that? given illegal aliens the ability to self-confer citizenship on their children by an illegal act. Well, there are those that say that because they're born on U.S. dirt, they're citizens. Uh, oh, this is not, all right. So actually, all right, let, me, let me think about that. That's actually that makes, that's kind of an interesting case. So you're saying that because they can't, that uh, Texas has to pay to educate these illegal aliens and that they're, they don't want to have, they don't want to be discriminated against for the rest of their life for not having an education. That are you saying that that is, that is actually making them citizens or the equivalent of citizens or are you saying making, it is yeah, making them citizens? The equivalent of citizens, yeah. Preparatory that's to citizenship. No, that's a good point. I think I agree with you. Jonathan, let's bring in the I read what the author of the 14th uh-huh. Amendment wrote, Jacob Howard wrote, Senator Howard wrote, about uh-huh. what he intended for the 14th Amendment to accomplish, there's no way yep. I can believe that, that that would be so. Do you have the quote? Because I happen to have it right here. I just flipped my Yeah, I got the quote. I got the quote right here. I, I read Go it for to it. you. And yep. I, I don't know how anyone can make any other conclusion than what he wrote. Uh, Jacob Merritt Howard is the guy who wrote it, and this is what he said. This amendment which I have offered is simply declaratory of what I regard as the law of the land already that every person born within the limits of the United States and already subject to the jurisdiction is, by virtue of natural law and national law, a citizen of the United States. This will not, of course, include persons born in the United States who are foreigners, aliens, who belong to the families of ambassadors or foreign ministers accredited Mm -hmm. to the government of the United States, but will include every other class of persons. I don't know what other way there is to interpret that. And he's the guy that wrote it. He's the guy that wrote the 14th Amendment, or at least he's one of the people that, that, that was a major debater. And him and uh, Trump were the two that were instrumental Trumbo. in it, yeah. You really yeah. love this stuff. This is great to have you on. I'm happy. <laughs> but well, that's I exactly studied the quote. Barack Obama natural born citizen case opened the door to me for all of this. Interesting. He's got it. Jonathan, welcome to the conversation. 
Well, hi, John Mosley. Um, uh, I'm interested to hear everything. Um, The new gentleman that I – I'd be curious because I think you're well prepared on this. Yeah, he knows his stuff. Well, both Pianchi and Sarge do, so uh, they're they're, they're great callers, yeah. Well, Pianchi already knows. What's his name? Sarge. Well – any, anyway, the the uh, I just called in early to uh, make sure you weren't doing it wrong. But uh, <laughs> well, you thank guys you. I appreciate that. all over it. <laughs> appreciate that. Um, but but uh, um, you know, not perhaps you can imagine how um, I spent three years in in law school uh, just with my blood boiling the entire time reading this yeah. nonsense. Um, yeah. But but I think I think you're fully exploring all of the clashes of nuance and and, and nonsense and and how they're how they're going about all this. Um, you know, it, it, it's 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 almost like some kind of brain teaser puzzle mm-hmm. where you know no nobody's trying to actually do something logical. They're just trying to. Um, uh, you know, see how complicated they can make it or what games they can play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just crazy. Um, but all that is all that is correct. Of course, a couple things that, you know, I went to a conservative law school relatively, mostly law and economics, conservative mm-hmm. in the economics sense. And uh, we had, you know, some pretty frank discussions about things and, Stuff like that, and and a lot of a lot of um, um, observers will say that the the Supreme Court has always had this inferiority complex, believe it or not, um, where they don't have an army, they don't have the power to force their decisions, so they're always trying to pander to the political class of the moment and and the Congress, and um, you know and. and yeah, they, they they twist things to um, to be popular. So you have a case where the the Congress and the executive branch have chosen not to enforce the law, and you know one one could say that they're uh, they're recognizing that amnesty exists. I mean, I, well, I think an amnesty, I, I don't isn't think. It? I want you to address that well, point, please, because this is an amnesty. If if Brennan assumes that the, that they have to educate, Texas has to educate the illegals because that because it'll impose a lifetime hardship. He's saying that they're allowed to be here for a lifetime. That's amnesty, right. and he can't say that. But you could, I mean, one could argue that he is endorsing the reality of amnesty, or he's creating it. I mean, e- either way, I mean, he's giving the stamp of approval. Right. on amnesty but is he doing it you know i don't know is he doing it to um to pander to the political branches who've decided not to enforce the law and he's just accepting it as it is or is he no, I think establishing he's creating amnesty? yeah he's creating law well, yeah let me give you let me give you another section here he says these children can neither affect their parents conduct nor their own undocumented status because these are minor children right he says the deprivation of public education is not like the deprivation of some other government benefit. So he acknowledges that education is not a right, it's a benefit, right? And illegal aliens are not entitled to benefits. So he actually contradicts himself. Then he says public education has a pivotal role in maintaining the fabric of our society and of sustaining our political and cultural heritage. Well, illegal aliens are not here to establish our political heritage. They've got their own. 
And they're certainly not here to establish our cultural heritage. They got their own of that, too. So, again, his logic is completely flawed. Let's go with government benefit, and then we'll talk about uh, heritage. Gentlemen? Well, 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 I mean, yeah, I mean, Jonathan? you could, I mean, uh, what is, what is the cart? What is the comedy where they say, well, you could say that about any Supreme Court opinion. Um, well, actually I do. I, be, I say it for most of them, <laughs> but that's, we'll take, no, we'll take them up one at a time. No, but it's, <laughs> it's true. It's like, well, you know, it's, uh, it's all Alice in one, it, it is, I mean, if you, if you, if the audience could read hundreds of Supreme Court cases, you, you get the same nonsense. It's all Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, you know, you also got to look look at what they thought the purpose of public education was back in the 1800s, and that was to indoctrinate immigrants into the American way. Now, this is 1982. Jonathan, this case was 1982. This is a recent case. It's only 40 years old. Right. Yeah. Sarge, go ahead. <laughs> But it I mean, mean, I mean, this judge is clearly acting. He, he imagines the Supreme Court is some kind of supernumerary legislature. He's establishing rationality, intents, and purposes, and all these things that have no bearing whatsoever on his determination of whether a law is good or bad is constitutional. That's basically what he's supposed to be doing, and whether or not the law furthers an act or other acts of the Constitution, other, mm-hmm. you know. Well, education isn't even mentioned in the Constitution, which is which is kind of interesting. Yeah. The federal government has no jurisdiction over education. So why is this, why exactly. is this case this, even there? This decision is one of the most one of the more hard ones since I don't know uh, Dred Scott or Roe. Uh, this has got to be equally as bad as those other cases. Oh, this is a horrible case, but it doesn't get the attention that the other cases do. This is what I find so fascinating, Jonathan. When you talked about this in law school, and we, we talked a little bit about this off air. Um, where, what, what were the objections, other than yours, <laughs> what were the objections? Did anybody find this as horrifying as I do, that this is a terrible case, that it is every bit as bad as Roe v. Wade and Dred Scott and some of these other horrible decisions the courts made? Jonathan? Yeah, yes, except that by the time in constitutional law we've read, you know, 50 other horrible court cases um, <laughs> leading up to Walker. that. Yeah. Everyone's just like you know throwing their hands in the air because again this was a this was a conservative law school. Ken Cuccinelli, the Attorney General of Virginia, mm-hmm. and uh, you know le- leader on some of these issues. He was my classmate. We had the Fe- a Federalist Society, we had the Christian Legal Society. So there were people there well, you who know were people. like you know. <laughs> That's cool. Huh? You know people. I'm impressed. Well. Yeah, but do they want to know me? That's the question. Um, do they, uh, we do. Um, we have friends here. They, yeah. They, um, uh, it's, it's a long story about. I mean, Ken was being a little ridiculous about one one case I was in. Um, so um, <laughs> the, um, that's a long story though. But the thing is, so people were like, "This is ridiculous," but it's all ridiculous. I mean, if I mean, if you read all these cases, you would go, "This, this." I mean, even even the old British cases, you're like, what the hell are they thinking? Mm. I mean, this is like well, this is you tell me, you tell me, and I've opened up the conversation a little bit because Jonathan's here early, so I wanted to. So now we can get. So now we're obviously in more discussion mode. But you tell me what Justice Brennan, excuse me, Judge Brennan, I, I misspoke. What, what well, do you the, think he was trying I mean, to do here? The I mean, okay, so. People try to understand <clears throat> what the courts are doing and why they're doing it and try uh-huh. to predict it. 
Right. You know, a lot of a lot of a lot of thought goes into that, and so I mean, there's a lot of spe- informed speculation, and and like I say, people, I think the 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 belief is is that the Supreme Court is openly trying to be popular with Congress, uh-huh. the executive branch. Um, they you know they want to be part of the cool kids because they don't have any armies, they don't have anything to, you know, they're kind of the poor, you know, the poor kid on the block in, in their right. view. And they said things like this, you know, that we have, the only thing that we have is, is that the public respects us. So People therefore they have to make sure the public despises them, but the Congress knows they can count on the Supreme Court to do their dirty work for them. And well, now one of the... One of the advisors would admit, you know, one of one of the people would, you know, would teach that remember um, that the Supreme Court is a committee. So you know what it's like, you know, if if a committee were to write something, like what's the joke, you know, if a committee were to design an elephant or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. it would be a, a disaster. So it is a committee. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also see in this. Filer v. Doe, that how the Supreme Court is is making assumptions. You know, they're 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 not analyzing the reality. They're analyzing their assumptions, like you say, which is that <clears throat> that the kids are going to stay. Mm-hmm. Well, now that that might not be an that might not be an unwarranted assumption when you see that the executive branch is not going to enforce the law. There's no way... But that's that not the a executive... to correct that, though. He, he can't make that assumption. Again, it gets back to the constitutionality. Can Texas protect their, their tax base and their citizens? And we went over the, the 14th Amendment, you know, citizens of the United States are citizens of the state of Texas from people that Texas has no responsibility for, illegal aliens. Well, right. you're right. Texas tax base is, is the people's property. They suppose to protect it. And though whoever you got people coming from countries where they don't pay any taxes, so they look as if the government creates these things and give it. But when they come to the United States, they seem believe the same thing applies. No, it's the people that pays for those schools, and it should be for their their children, their children who are citizens of the state, citizens of the United States. Those illegals are not either. Let me ask you a question, gentlemen. Do do we have a right to a country free of illegal aliens? Yeah. Oh, I mean, like I keep keep saying, the tools are there. Mm -hmm. It's just we do not have politicians willing to use them. Right. Agreed. But we do have, I wouldn't say a right necessarily because rights we think of as individual, but do we have a claim on a country free of illegal aliens? I would say yes, we do. we have a right to expect that the politicians will faithfully execute the laws, and the laws on immigration and deportation are clear. And okay. uh, I, so we have a right to that, faithful execution of the laws, and we're not getting it right now. No, no, and another thing question. To, uh, do, do we have a right to a country I mean, free of illegal aliens? Sarge, hold on. Do we have a right to a country free, free of illegal aliens, yes or no? I yes. would say no as a practical matter, but as an as a, as expectation in law, yes, we do. Okay, fair enough. Now, practical now, 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 here's, the, now, here's the thing. Okay, go ahead. Well, but, another point, another one but point the thing you. about yeah, jurisdiction, 
subject to the jurisdiction thereof. Again, Lyman Trumbull addressed that in the debate on the floor of Congress. He, they, he was addressing what does that mean. And this is his quote. What do we mean by complete jurisdiction thereof? Not owing allegiance to anybody else. That is what it means. What is your source on this so people can find the quotes? Because I think people would find this very it's useful. It's on a congressional it. record. It's all, and it's in the congressional, the debates on the, uh, the uh, uh, congressional record on the issue. You know, they're having debates on the amendment. Both in the no, Senate I know that, but see, I always like to quote sources on the show. So, I, I, you know, it, it's, it's yeah, good it's, for it's people. It's contained there in the debates, the debates, the congressional record, it's in the congressional record. Okay, sounds good. No, you're absolutely, no, I agree. I've read these quotes. I think it's absolutely fabulous that you have them here. Uh, I wish more people would read the congressional record. Right, let me give you another one here. Uh, is, here's something that I think is very interesting. It says, the deprivation of education takes an inestimable, I can't talk today, inestimable toll on the social, economic, intellectual, and psychological well-being of the individual and poses an obstacle, obstacle to individual achievement. Well, if that were the case, what about all the, we, we've got uh, black kids in Democrat districts and getting a substandard <laughs> education while these illegal aliens are getting fully funded. So if, if this is true, that the deprivation of education, I believe it is, uh, takes on inestimable toll on the social, economic, intellectual, and psychological well-being and stops achievement, why are we allowing substandard black schools and Hispanic schools all across this country of kids that are not getting an education in Democrat districts? There's enough money what their brain well, just know, said. The one thing that... Go ahead. The one thing that illegals does to these schools districts that's predominantly black is that they stymie them because mm-hmm. they have to take time out to make a correlation that the fact that the illegals don't speak English and also they are not up to the level where the black kids are in their district, whereas they can move forward, but they mm-hmm. have to wait until you try to bring these illegals up. And that's wrong. No, that's, that's, this is huge. This is huge. Point. The articles I've been reading are saying the same thing, that one of the biggest problems with the illegal aliens in the schools is that they're getting all the special ed money. They're getting all the English uh, ESL, English as a second language, and all this other kind of stuff. That's illegal, too. Mm-hmm. So not only are illegal aliens getting regular school benefits, they're getting special school benefits as well. Jonathan, I'll get to start. We've got to acknowledge, though. Don't we have to acknowledge that the, uh, the most big cities, especially big blue cities across the United States, the public education system is not run for the benefit of the students. It's run for the benefits of the teachers. You, I mean, COVID oh, I agree proves there. that. That's been proven nothing else does. Absolutely. But, but let's get back to the point, though. Do illegal aliens have a claim not only on regular education money, but special education money? I would say no. No. Well, okay. no, remember they have that. no claim on the schools. They have no claim on the schools whatsoever. We come to okay. that agreement. But they think they, that they think they have to go by this pilot veto decision. We're proving over and over again that it's completely wrong. Let me get on part C. The undocumented status of these children, vel non, Johnny, Jonathan, you explain that in a second, does not establish a sufficient rational basis for denying them benefits that the state affords other residents. Well, first of all, these people are not residents. They're illegal aliens. They can't be residents. They can't be citizens. We have no jurisdiction, yada, yada, everything we've been saying. So, so the fact that uh, he says a rational basis, they're not even residents. So his rational basis is irrational. So the undocumented status of these children is everything. So what does Velnon mean? V-E-L-N-O-N. Jonathan? By, by its nature. So, okay, so let me read it again. So the undocumented status of these children by its nature does not establish a sufficient rational basis for denying them benefits. 
Yes, it does. <laughs> this is another contradiction, gentlemen. All over the place. Well, but, well you can't look at the purpose. All right, one at a time. Go ahead, Jonathan. Sorry, sure, sure. First of all, Brennan is a liberal, and right. the Supreme Court was was liberal. And being liberal, we have hopefully learned, does not just mean holding to a certain set of beliefs. It means not being in touch with the real world. And it means, you know, it means living in a fantasy world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Brennan believes in education because all liberals do. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ask a government education, them, <laughs> yeah, a government education, because traditionally, traditionally it was they were not government. Um, when our mm-hmm. country started, they were church schools, they were private schools, they were home, home schools. schools and yeah. the enterprise of one common shared experience, um, in, <clears throat> in education, you know, is this glorified nirvana, um, you know, high, high moral purpose to, to, to liberals. The, it, it, it's sacred that we all share the same experience in, uh, in, in education. Hmm. And so to him, the idea that the schools don't work is impossible to enter into his brain. Um, and, you know, the idea that, you know, the, the idea that what if, what if this, these schools are failing? Well, then sh- sh- clearly we need to spend more money. You know, it's not, it's not about. Because that might never, be why they're failing. I mean, I mean, we're seeing this with January 6th very clearly and everything else. You start out with a premise that is unproven and, count, and, and not true, and then you try to, try to twist the reality to fit your precon- the preconceived ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything that Philo Rideau is saying here you know, is, is trying to twist reality into, into uh, <coughs> um, <clears throat> the, the left-wing uh, glorification of the almighty, you know, common government-run education system. Um, yeah, I would argue that just the opposite benefits. You know, if you if you believe in diversity, you also believe in diversity of education, which means that the more uh, types of education, church education, homeschool education, private education, even government education, is going to make for a, a more diverse pool of knowledge to draw from, as opposed to everybody getting the same indoctrination. So I'd argue that uh, that diversity actually should be implemented in this case, gentlemen. Right. Well, you know, on uh, on Jonathan Point that he made in Missouri, first congressional district, Lacey Clay introduced a bill when he was in the uh, he's a congressman. He was in the state uh, legislature mm-hmm. that if your district is failing, you got a right to send your child to another district that you don't pay any taxes in. Now, that mm-hmm. there is totally wrong also. And it was implemented where you had kids bust out of one school district to the point that it almost went broke because parents opted to take their kids and send them on an hour's bus drive into a far-off school district. In this case, Francis Howell, kids coming from Normandy school district. That was mm-hmm. totally wrong for him. To- <laughs> I had an idea that uh... – that private schools should set up in 
areas that are underserved by the government schools and just set up maybe even free private schools just to prove that these kids are smart. They're just not being given a good education. We'll talk about that someday too. Let me get a couple more points here. I'm going to turn it over to Jonathan. Okay. Response. Well, the Catholic church has traditionally done that, but of course the Catholic church, like much of the church, including Protestant church has become seeker friendly. And in other words, tickling the ears of, you know, of, of the unsaved, in order to, you know, because consultants tell them that's how to get more people in their pews, and of course it's not. Um, So, I mean, traditionally, the Catholic school system was largely concentrated in underserved minority areas and did an outstanding job. They did cost money, but they cost relatively little. They were heavily subsidized. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, you know, I worked at the Center for Choice and Education Department, and also at the Office of Bilingual Education and Minority Languages Affairs when I first got there. Um, but, you know, but the thing, I, let, me, let me just say that when you talk, if you were to talk to Brennan or his liberal colleagues about schools that are failing, they would, like, they couldn't under, like, what are you talking about? You're talking about, like, space sales from another, I mean, there's no mm. such, that they can't, they, can't, they can't fit that into their brains that there could be any such school that it isn't wonderful and, you know, the best thing ever, you know, that they, they that that's would never penetrate their, the concrete in their skull. Interesting. Let me, I got a couple more points. Then I'm going to turn it over to Jonathan to talk about whatever he wants to talk about, which is probably this case to a large extent. This case fascinates me and how bad it is. Literally I've contradicted every sentence that, that Brennan has made, which I find fascinating. Then he says, it is true that when faced with an equal protection challenge respecting a state's differential treatment of aliens, I would add, which of course they can do because they're aliens. He says the courts must be attentive. And this is where Jonathan comes in. The courts must be attentive to congressional policy concerning, but in the area of special constitutional sensitivity presented by these cases. I want to know what that, that means in a bit, Jonathan, special constitutional sensitivity, right? Then he says, and in the absence of any contrary indication fairly discernible in the legislative record, at least none that he found, no national policy is perceived that might justify the state in denying these children an elementary education. Well, that's just nonsense. <laughs> Jonathan, then we'll go through uh, Bianchi and Sarge, and we'll get back. <laughs> this is hysterical, right, Jonathan? No, what's well, the con- with the other guy. What's what's special constitutional sensitivity? Oh, Sarge, I think I heard you. Then we'll get to Bianchi and then back to John. I mean, Sarge, I, well, you? I mean, that sounds like you're just making it up. Okay. I mean, for well, example, I, you were talking earlier about you were talking earlier about benefits, about how education right. is a special kind of government benefit. Mm-hmm. I would think that whether whether a child eats tonight might, you know, might be taken a little more seriously than, than an education. I mean, educations are good, but, you know, government benefits to have a house, you know, of course, again, the responsibility for all that is their home country. But if you're going to, if you're going to make an argument about, you know, but education is a special level of benefits, I don't think it would compare with, you know, having food to eat or water or, you know, running water or a bathroom or a roof over your head or clothes on your back. I, I think that's just ridiculous. But, but do you have a look to those things where the government must take resources from other people to provide them for you? Yeah, but that, again, I said that, that Brennan, is, Brennan is analyzing, and I use Brennan as, you know, all the liberal judges, 
that he is analyzing this from the leftist assumptions that this country is infinitely rich, even though today we're $32 trillion in debt, so we're probably the poorest country on earth. But, you know, but that, that we have infinite money and yeah. there is no such thing. I mean, the idea, the idea that you have to take, you have to diminish the lifestyle of others to do some liberal prep, prep project is something that he, that could never, you know, penetrate his brain. It's because it's <laughs> not part of the liberal mentality. Yeah. Do you have any um, comment on the two things I pointed out earlier of, of, of this being foreign aid? because they're forcing Texas citizens to pay for the education of foreign nationals who are in the country illegally, and that it actually is amnesty. That, in other words, being here for a lifetime uh, is, is a grant of amnesty from the Supreme Court, which they have no authority to do. Look at those, Jonathan. Yeah, I agree those. with it like this. Hold, hold on a second. I'm going to get Jonathan. Get, get back, back to Jonathan's point Jonathan. about sitting. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. All right, one at a time. I want Johnson's point. Foreign aid and amnesty. We'll get those two things on the there's record. No, there's no formal um, discussion of that. I mean, obviously, a no, lot I, of... No, I made it. I'm, I'm saying those points. That, that's me. Right, but I'm saying it never, it never came up in the court case or in any official capacity. No, um, I'm not asking that. I'm no. asking, is that, is, that a, is, is that something that he is creating de facto, <laughs> even though he doesn't say it? But he's actually creating, he's mandating foreign aid, and he's mandating amnesty, two things he has no power to do as a Supreme Court judge. Um, well, I, uh, the first, I don't know. The second, yes. I, I think that, but I think, again, he, he's, he's coming from a globalist. Uh, you know, I, I don't think his mentality in doing this recognizes the existence of national borders. So, uh, so that's what, interesting. So okay. foreign aid, I'm not, I don't know that he would, you know, if you could put him under the lights and get in pentothal, even though he's <laughs> gone, um, you know, and, and I don't think he would understand the concept of it being foreign aid because he's looking at it, you know, he's not recognizing really, I mean, he would pretend to, but not really recognizing the existence of separate countries. Huh. Well, he's, he's making that assertion when he's, asking for the government, which in this case would be the government of Texas, to take care of these illegals. And another point, if the the idea about being hungry, needing uh, clothes, uh, that responsibility to go to those entities called churches who are given that status so that people would not otherwise look to the federal government or even the state government for those benefits. The church is already supposed to handle that. And hmm. I can think of a rational reason why the government might might not want to extend educational, quote, benefits, unquote, to illegal aliens, simply because you don't want to incentivize their parents to enter the country illegally in hopes that their children will get a better education at the expense of Texas taxpayers. Exactly. Yeah. So what this does is this, this actually uh, guarantees more illegal aliens coming here, as is everything exactly. that's happening now. All right. Let me get another point here. This is uh, the last paragraph. It says, Texas statutory classification cannot be sustained as further. I think I read that. While the state might have an interest in mitigating potentially harsh economic effects, yes, they do, from an influx of illegal aliens, they said immigrants, the Texas statute does not offer an effective method of dealing with the problem. I think the Texas statute does offer an effective method of dealing with the problem. Don't pay for illegals. And as Sarge just said, if you don't pay for illegals, you're not going to get more illegals because they're not going to come here. 
Gentlemen? <laughs> I guess it's just not sophisticated. That, that line of argument just isn't sophisticated enough for many liberals to understand. It's got to be more nuanced, I suppose. Unless. Can you nuance it a little bit more? Unless they want illegals here to water down America and, as Obama said, fundamentally transform us into every other nation and basically breed out all of us who believe in, you know, freedom, justice in the American way, in individual rights, in limited government. You're not supposed to say the quiet part out loud. No, I do say the quiet part out loud. He's trying to create another voting block. And and the slap on the face with Texans uh, taxpayers that they now are paying for something twice. They pay in federal taxes, which is equivalent, which is equating to foreign aid going to the countries where these people ran from. And now they run to the United States and being forced in Texas to pay for the education in their school. So they're paying twice and getting no results. Yeah, they're also paying for them to be removed and the government's not removing them. <clears throat> so they're paying for nothing. <laughs> they're paying three times. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Jonathan? Think about it, Greg. Think Good about question. it. Do you realize that Indians who were who were subject to tribal jurisdiction were not citizens of the United States until 1924? Yeah. They were born in the United States. They were members of different nations. That's why they got treaties. Yeah. That's why yeah, the United yeah, States government negotiated with them and gave them treaties as members of foreign nations. They weren't even citizens until 1924 if they were subject to tribal jurisdiction. Let's get to uh, Jonathan. I'm going to kind of turn things over to you. You can t- continue this or, or anything else you want to bring up or, uh, you know, stuff. In general. I think we pretty much covered it. This case is a disaster. And to use this case as a basis for forcing states, uh, something the Supreme Court cannot do, uh, to do something that cannot be justified by the Constitution for, for a purpose that cannot be explained uh, in rational terms is, is absurd, is irrational, is ludicrous, unless you've got an ulterior motive above what they're saying, which is to flood the country with people that do not believe as Americans believe, that believe in corruption and government benefits and things like that. I don't see that in any Let way. me ask you a question. Let sure. me ask you a question. Why does an argument that is opinionated by a judge have to mean the end of the argument? If the opinion, like in this particular case, is uh-huh. unconstitutional when you really put it under the microscope, then why did the argument stop? The argument still should be going on like you have many factions today are con- trying to continue the argument that states should not have to pay for the education of illegals. No, I agree. And the whole point of this discussion is to be able to send it places to people, to members of Congress, to all kinds of folks, you know, state legislators, local school boards, county commissions, city councils, things like that, say that you don't have to go by this court decision that we've already proven. It's, it's an illegal decision. It is a stupid decision. It has no rational basis. It invokes things that don't exist. It's got an aim way above what they're actually stating. What they really want to do is just educate illegals so they'll stay here. It's amnesty and it's foreign aid to people that, that, that they can't do it to, because they're criminals. That's what we need to state. Now, I want to actually go back to something Jonathan said. Uh, Section 5, we can fix that Supreme Court case. We talked a little bit about this off the air. Can you explain how Section 5 of the 14th Amendment could take care of Plyler v. Doe? So this is well, fascinating. have, like, Section 5 of the 14th Amendment, <clears throat> which I think we talked about maybe last week on the debt ceiling. 
mm-hmm. um, and and Fetch remains. Um, well, no, I mean, well, Kevin McCarthy has sort of like surrendered, you know, to you know, surrendered. Well, we knew the entire he did that. <laughs> what do you think? Remember but, how strongly we were arguing against him? I called him Kevin McDeep State. I said, "Hold out, please hold out. Don't let him become speaker." So this is why the Democrats didn't have to steal Congress because they knew that McCarthy was going to take yeah. over, and McCarthy is basically the Democrat speaker. You know, who uh, gets a few rhinos to go along with him, or is that come transgender Democrat? Right. Let me go back. That's why five. they want to get they want to get rid of George Santos because we're down to a four portion yeah. margin. Oh, it's going to Well, that, listen, the, the people that stole the government are accusing George Santos of lying on a resume. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, I mean wait a minute. Be, wait a minute, folks. There yeah. should be yeah. some sort of take a take a number rule. It's yeah. like, uh, you know, okay, let's let everybody take a number who's who has lied to their, their constituents about their, who they are mm-hmm. and what they're going to do in office. And, and out of 535 members of Congress, George Santos might be, you know, at, at, at the end of the line in the 500. Um, <laughs> I mean, let's get rid of, uh, you know, I keep saying on, on social media when people uh-huh. mention it's like, okay, now do Elizabeth Warren. You know who who got who illegally got benefits by claiming to be a, a Native American. Um, so anyway, um, section five. I got it right oh, here. What? Oh, section five. So the thing is, is that you know there are several different parts of the Fourteenth Amendment. We've talked in the past about how you know, we were talking off the year how every time the Supreme Court um, steps its foot into, you know, a pile, uh, into a uh, uh, pail of, 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 of muck, they make things worse. So this is, the history of the Supreme Court is to swing from one mess to another mess where every time they, and this is true of government, this is the, the conservative criticism of big government, is that every time the government tries to solve something, they make it worse. And the Supreme Court, you know, messed up the Dred Scott decision. And um, can you explain that one real quick? Like Marco, we're Pardon? we're up to fifteen percent in your national listeners now, so I want to kind of redefine some of the things yeah. that we already know. How did they miss the case? Though? A quick, uh, quick the Dred Scott, Scott decision. The, the Dred Scott decision said that that um, that blacks, or as they would have identified them, I think more by geography, Africans at the time. Um, could not avail themselves of constitutional rights. The, you know, the, the slave known as Dred Scott, um, his, you know, he was, his owner took him to a free state, and he, and he escaped. So he was in a free state, you know, no, where no slavery was allowed, and he was, he was loose. And yet, even, and yet his owner, you know, got him and took him back to to his home state, which was a slavery state. So the idea was that was that he by being in a free state, you know, he was no longer subject to slavery, which would have been the reasonable I mean, just the the legislatures passed the laws saying it's a free state, there's no slavery allowed in our state. So how could they how could they return him back to a slavery state when the legislator the legislature had the power to say we don't have slavery in this state, um, and and yet the Dred Scott decision said, well, 
because his his home state, not the state where he was um, found, um, doesn't recognize him as a citizen. Therefore, the U.S. federal government doesn't recognize him as a citizen, and the Constitution has no effect on him, which was just as dumb as the as the you know is it a problematic situation? Yeah, but but you know it's just as a dumb of a solution as the one we were just looking at. Um, and so, so well, the, technically, the uh, he didn't have no citizenship. It'd be like, for instance, California is going to outlaw gasoline. Okay. If you end up and somebody steal your brand new charger and go to California with it, do you have a right to go pursue and get your car back? Well, that's your car a little bit different, but yeah, you do. I mean, there, there's the, there is a specific part of the Constitution that says that. The, um, oh, it's, it, I'm getting a mental block. But that, that's a little bit different. It's a fugitive slave act. Slave class. I don't know. I don't know about that. But the fugitive slaves act that uh, the slaves was considered as property, and the owner had a right to go retrieve his property. Now, there were cases where the uh, owner was confiscated for the amount that it spent in order to acquire the slave. That's where you get into the notion of slaves buying their freedom. But uh, the owner had a right to go pursue their property, according to that. Well, yeah, except this, except this, the state in which he was found defined, you know, outlawed slavery. So under under the law where he was, where he was, the 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 slave would not be their property. Um, that was and, for, um, that was for the citizens of Missouri. They were citizens of Missouri, and citizens of Missouri, Missouri didn't have no slave, but he was not a citizen well, that, of Missouri. He came there, but that. And that's what this, that's what the Dred Scott decision decided. I would disagree. I mean, because my point is, is that the, the Supreme Court kept keeps you know making things worse. And um, I think the the easier answer would be that um, whether or not he's a citizen of Missouri, the legislature of Missouri has chosen to outlaw slavery. So um, so. The, leg- the legislature of Missouri, whether or not he acquired citizenship in Missouri, um, should have prevailed, and and he you know he should not have been able to to return. But but the point the thing is is that this <clears throat> did nothing to help stop the Civil War. I think the Civil War was you know in full you know full swing anyway, but it certainly threw some fuel on the fire. So then they came back after the Civil War. And they passed the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. But like everything else they do, they did it really sloppy. Yeah. So the 14th Amendment is considered to have completely changed our Constitution. That our Constitution before the 14th Amendment and after the 14th Amendment are massively different constitutions because of the way the 14th Amendment screwed everything up. I mean, his advocates wouldn't say that, but I, I would, that they screwed it up. I think so, we got the term... Substantive due process from the 14th Amendment. I think that's what's been done a lot of this. I mean, there's good stuff in the 14th Amendment, but there's also, but again, it, it's a problem of fixing a problem in a sloppy, poorly thought out way. You know, there are things that, there are things that we would like to have in our Constitution that have been done in a way that's just messy. 
Um, yeah. And if you sit back and you say, well, don't you think this is good? Yeah, it's good, but not that, but not like a complete mess. And so the 14th Amendment has, you know, has these four different provisions that are of massive consequences, including this idea that the, the federal debt shall not be questioned. And we talked about last week, well, questioned by who? You know, one thing I learned in, in, in law school is you don't write passive voice because you say, well, it, the debt shall not be questioned. Who, who are you talking about? By whom? Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but the Fifth Amendment, the Fifth Section of the 14th Amendment says that Congress shall have the right by appropriate legislation to, what is it, to regulate the enforcement thereof of this, of this, of this amendment. Yep. So I no. argue that the debt You answer me a question, I, I got a question I've been wanting to ask a, uh, a, a lawyer about this, and it has to do with Wong Kim Ark versus the United States. And, and it, just to briefly summarize it as best I can anyway, uh, the, the, uh, the court <laughs> held that, the, that Wong Kim Ark was a citizen of the United States mainly because his parents were lawfully resident, per, permanently lawfully resident within the United States. And that was it. Now, people, now the people who believe in birthright citizenship, anchor baby birthright citizenship from illegal aliens, point to Wong Kim Ark as their justification for saying that anchor babies of illegal aliens are, in fact, legal 14th Amendment citizens. How do you respond to that argument? Well, I think, I think as, as, we were, as we were talking, you know, Greg and I, on the, is the fourth – the 14th Amendment, I mean, the advocates for that the idea of anchor babies and, uh, you know, birthright citizenship and everything like that, they depend upon the fact that the 14th Amendment, again, shifted from citizens to persons. And the reason they did that was because they made such a big mess of it in Dred Scott, and now they had to try to fix it instead of just leaving mm-hmm. well enough alone. So they, they change the, the 14th Amendment says persons, but it also says subject to the jurisdiction thereof, which is what, so it's persons, not necessarily citizens, but they have to be subject to the jurisdiction of the United States or the state, which everybody ignores because they, you know, they don't want to limit um, illegal immigration. Um, and well, let's talk about that person because that's that's huge, Jonathan. I mean, we hear it in the Declaration of Human Rights. Warren is constantly posting on my page saying that these are people. I said, well, we're not arguing they're not people, but they're not part of the Constitution so, be, because of the Fourteenth so Amendment. Yeah, so yeah. Go ahead, Jonathan. The problem with that is that would that argument would mean that our U.S. Constitution governs the entire planet. Exactly. If you're saying people <laughs> without any qualification. Then, then every person on the planet is subject to our U.S. Constitution, including to pay taxes to us um, and uh, obey the laws of the United States. You know, every somebody in Zimbabwe would have to obey laws passed by our Congress. Um, and uh, but the thing is, so the question is, what does it mean subject to the jurisdiction? Uh, thereof, and the response of official Washington is, put, is to put their fingers in their ears and go, la, 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 I don't want to hear it. Um, <laughs> well, but, let me ask you a question. Is, is, Greg, is Greg duly, can, is Greg bound to respect the rights of a 
illegal when they're not legally in the United States? Well, it depends. Is it illegal? So you don't have rights, do you? But like, it depends. Like 20 years ago, I think, whatever it was, there was there were some German tourists from some, you know, who were in Miami, and they were being shot at. And you know, just because somebody is a is not a U.S. citizen, does not mean you can go on shooting at them. Um, so, you know, but that does not make them citizens, and that does not make them, you know, um, recipients or beneficiaries of all the constitutional rights. So, you know, if somebody if somebody comes here and they're not a citizen and they don't have a right to be here, that doesn't give us the right to go beat them up. Um, yeah, but, but what, if they commit a, what, if, what if they commit an act against you that's threatening? You don't have a right to protect yourself from them? Absolutely. And and they can commit a crime in the United States. I mean, you see, this, this is where it's difficult. It's because you're not subject as citizens to the jurisdiction of the United States. But if they come here and rob a bank, they, they have committed a crime in the United States. So they, they can be subject to criminal prosecution in the United States, even though they're not citizens. But they have no claim on the Constitution in terms of being citizens. So these things are messy, and our courts have handled it by just, you know, saying, you know, you know looking over to Congress, saying, Congress, you know, it's like the old joke my brother likes. Like, you know, they're, they're, a company is hiring accountants. And so they ask every accountant, you know, what's two plus two? And they all say four. And then the last one, you know, turn, gets up, locks the door, closes the curtains, turns the light off, leans forward and whispers, what do you want it to be? You know, <laughs> two plus two. And, and so, job, con- yeah. you know, the courts just look over to Congress and say, you know, wink, wink. What, what is, what is uh, Monty Python? Wink, wink. Um, not, say no more. Not, 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 wink, wink. Yep. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, so so the, 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 that's the, so the problem is, you know, doing doing we need an answer to what does it mean to be subject to the jurisdiction thereof. We were not we, we, get we, we talked about it earlier. We had, uh, in fact, a sergeant read the quote on that. I don't know if you, you caught that. Let me focus on the word jurisdiction. No. Because I've long contended that people are confusing, you know, uh, geographic jurisdiction, citizen jurisdiction. The 14th Amendment, Section 1, specifically is a citizenship because in the same way that American citizens, John McCain, was born on foreign soil. But he's an American mm-hmm. because his parents are subject to the jurisdiction of the United States being American citizens. People who are ambassadors, mm-hmm. kids who are born here are not, and they're specifically mentioned in the Constitution, right, are not subject to our jurisdiction. So in the same way, if John McCain can be a citizen being born in a foreign country and, and ambassador's kids cannot be citizens because they're not under our jurisdiction, then neither can foreign nationals and especially not illegal aliens have any claim on citizenship jurisdiction. This is not dirt. It doesn't matter what dirt you're born on. What matters is whether you're subject to citizenship jurisdiction, not geographic jurisdiction. And that fundamental contradiction, nobody right. makes that split. And us here. These things, they're, they're two these different things. things. Not super, Go ahead. These things yeah. are not super easy, but they're, they'd be easy enough. I mean, the, the, re, the only reason they're not easy to figure out is that official Washington doesn't want to. You know, but do you they, see the distinction, though, Jonathan? I'm going to specifically comment on, on, jurisdiction, on citizenship jurisdiction versus geographic. 
You'd think well, that after 245 you, years, hold on, hold on, everybody else. Like, Jonathan, then I'll go around the panel, but Jonathan first. Well, I, I'm, I'm just going to say you'd think that after 245 years, somebody would have laid down a marker and, and you know, and decided these things, you know, clearly, officially. Uh, the only way that we could, the only way that we could muck it up this badly is that we just don't want an answer. Mm. It suits people's interests to, to, to not have an answer. Yeah. Next person. Well, I, I think there is at times uh, a question of geographic, geographic location actually deciding citizenship. Now, when I was stationed in Germany, I knew several guys who had, who had their wives over there with them, NCOs, senior NCOs. They had their wives and family there with them. And when the wives got pregnant and they delivered on a United States Army base in Germany, leased to the United States government by German government, they had to go down to the consulate or the embassy and certify their birth there with the consulate so Germany would not make a claim on their child as a German citizen. Without that That's agreement, which is part of the status of forces agreement, mm-hmm. a, 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 a child born to a person in the United States Armed Forces on German soil, even if it's a least military base, is a German citizen without that uh, conformance with the status of forces agreement. Is that international? Is that international? No, it's, that, would, uh, that that would mean that illegal aliens born here uh, by the international standard will be citizens of the country of their parents, right? Yeah, but, yeah, then, but that was a status of force agreement with a, done through diplomatic arrangements with the nations of Germany, Japan. They got similar things. Well, they have to do that because the U.S. Things. bases aren't aren't U.S. territory like an embassy is. Right, they're not U.S. territory. Yeah, they're different jurisdiction. Right. right illegal. If an illegal from Argentina was being chased by a local police department and they ran to the Argentine embassy and got within the gate, that local police department can't do nothing to them. Right. Exactly. But but remember the argument we've used here that if a Mexican illegal living in the United States goes to Egypt on business and gets in trouble, they can't go to the American embassy for relief because the American embassy has no jurisdiction over them. The Mexican embassy does. So that's, that's why citizenship jurisdiction is different than geographic jurisdiction. Let me, let me get back to you, Well, they Jonathan. can go to that American embassy and seek protection because that happens in many cases. <laughs> well, well, as we a lost, foreign national, yeah, I, I maybe they could members. do that, but they couldn't do that as jurisdiction. Sarge? Say again. Say the same question again. Well, what I'm saying is that a, a foreign national or an illegal alien in the United States who goes overseas, say, on business, screws up, does something wrong, and they're prosecuted. That person cannot go to the American embassy for, for relief or protection because they're yeah, an American citizen. Right. Of course not. They'd have, they to, have, to, go no, to, they'd have to go to the citizenship of – Yeah, they have of, to apply uh, with the embassy of their national right. status, whatever that is. They have to go there. Right. That's why illegal aliens born in this country are not under our jurisdiction <laughs> because in You're no way right. could that family go to uh, – an American embassy for any, any jurisdiction. Let me ask Jonathan one more question. I want to get this up before, before we get done because we're going to change it at 9 o'clock. Um, overturning Plyler v. Doe or overturning any Supreme Court case. We, we talked about this at the very beginning of the show that in the same way that the Supreme Court claims <laughs> that they can overturn a law of Congress, uh, and if, if it's unconstitutional and they, that's what their opinion is under the, the parties, yeah, I got no problem with that. I have a problem when they go into policy, law, and regulation and solutions. But in the same way, cannot Congress overrule a Supreme Court opinion, 
if they find that it's unconstitutional because these are co-equal branches. Doesn't Article they have the same 3 power. say that? Doesn't, doesn't Article that? 3 say that under such rate rules and regulations as Congress may direct? Now, that's the creation of the courts. That's different, but I think you're on the right. Let me pull up Article 3. Jonathan? Well, Overall yeah, and that's Court. where we're going. I mean, I mean, the vast majority, and I, I don't think we're going to get to the Tennessee drag law, but uh, this is a good conversation, so I'm, I don't know that I would... Um, we can do it next you know, week. We'll, we'll have to vote the whole thing next week. Yeah, just just let me know. We'll, the only we'll thing about the Tennessee drag law is that the, the irrationality of the judge's decision is in the same vein as what we're talking about here. You're well, just, you're, 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 take you know, a couple minutes. We've we got some time. Why don't you go ahead and, and, and outline that case? No, well, let, me say, let me answer your question. What we were, what we were at, what we were um, zeroing in on is mm-hmm. that Section Five of the Fourteenth Amendment says, um, you know, says that Congress has, shall have the power uh, to, you know, uh, to regulate read, the enforcement thereof. I'll read exactly. Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article, so they can enforce subject to the jurisdiction thereof. Well, that is a that is a controversy. You know, it, to to what extent are they changing the amendment, and to what extent mm-hmm. are they regulating the enforcement of the amendment? Mm-hmm. I was arguing that, and I haven't heard anybody else, but I don't know everybody. Um, is <laughs> that um, is that the debt ceiling is Congress using Section Five to enforce that part of the Fourteenth Amendment? Therefore, you can't just ignore it. And uh, in the same way, I would say that Congress can define um, what do you mean by subject to the jurisdiction thereof. Congress can use Section 5 to say that for the purposes of enforcement of this 14th Amendment, mm-hmm. subject to the jurisdiction thereof means whatever they want to define it as. It could also mean what does a person mean for this, you know, you know for this purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it could mean what they could define what citizen means. Now, you know, the controversy has been and will be: Are you fundamentally changing the Fourteenth Amendment, or are you um, regulating the enforcement of the Fourteenth Amendment? And I would say that if the Fourteenth Amendment or any law or anything like that is is ambiguous, uh, and uh, then then it's necessary to clarify it. So, so I would well, argue know, that, I think that Greg, uh, Mosley Greg's point was great, and I think some other people have elaborated. If a person from Argentina is in, 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 in LA, L.A. County and the police is pursuing him and he runs to the Argentine embassy, then the police can't pursue him on that because he's actually, that land actually is, is uh, Argentine territory where it's established. United States embassies in another country is United States territory as a treaty and established by between the two governments. So the jurisdiction right, as as, is where they come from. That's where their jurisdiction exists. It's not in the U.S. Right. right. And also, from my earlier example of the soldiers and the status of forces agreement, remember, mm-hmm. soldiers are there legally in the countries. They are in by the status of forces agreement, just like Wong Kim Mark, that parents legally true. resident with the United States when he was born. Well, we're not having, that's I don't have a quarrel with legal, people who are here legally, um, you know, can give birth to American citizens because they've been granted permanent right. status. I agree with that. 
I so that's not, a, that's not, that's not even an issue. Is. We never want to confuse that. Legal permanent residents, green card residents with the intention, because they have the intention, and you have to state this because I had a green card for 11 years, I know, <laughs> but your intention is to become a U.S. citizen, all right? You've been invited to the United States to live here permanently. Now, you don't have to become a U.S. citizen, but it certainly would be the right thing to do, and so I did it at 21, um, but that's the point. That's the point, of, uh, and so, so, but legal immigrants are under the jurisdiction of the United States. And you can't vote and you can't well, serve on a jury, but you're definitely under U.S. jurisdiction. Citizen. What's that now? Why come an ambassador's kid? A foreign minister's right, exactly. child is not a citizen. They're here illegally. That's what they're I They're illegally, exactly. but they're not subject to our jurisdiction like a permanent resident is. It's totally right. a question. Yeah. No, a yeah. permanent resident, so, you know. A permanent so, resident, that's questionable, too. Yeah. Let me get to the Texas. Come to speak yeah. to the United Nations with his, apparently he's got uh, uh, some some mistress living in Europe, uh, bringing his, his pregnant mistress with him. She gives birth in the United States, and now Vladimir Putin's son can run for president. <laughs> Here we go again. That's not the born citizen thing, and that bugged me to no end when people say that right. Kamala Harris and, and Barack Obama are natural born citizens within the meaning of Article Two, Section One, Clause Five. I know that's no. nonsense. Well, right. first of all, article, Barack yeah, right. Obama's – we had Joe Pye on the show several years ago, and he ruled that uh, Barack Obama's uh, library certificate was a, was, a, was a fraud. And secondly, Kamala Harris, her parents were on – one was on an expired student visa, and the other one was here illegally. So she's not even a citizen. All right, let's get to the Texas right. drag case. I want to spend a few minutes on that, and then we're going to – like I say, at 9 o'clock, we're going to – Yeah, we'll, I was just putting we'll it away for next because it, it, it's not a um, – It's interesting, uh, Okay, so the – so the Trump appointee, now Larry Klayman says that the way judges are appointed, they're recommended by each state, by their senators. So, they, so he would argue that the fact that Trump appointed a judge really means nothing. Um, so yeah. we have the Rolling Stone. Uh, we're not going to get through this, and we always say this, and we don't come back to what we think we need to. Federal judge strikes down Tennessee's unconstitutional, quote, drag law. So they passed a law against drag queen shows where and children are there or could see it. Um, and so, um, and now the Rolling Stone points something out, saying um, under this reading of the law, a drag queen wearing a mini skirt and a cropped top and dancing in front of children um, are prohibited, but Titans cheerleaders wearing precisely the same outfit, doing precisely the same routine, does not because she's not uh, a female impersonator, court noted. Um, now, I wanted, to, I wanted to dig the Rolling Stone because they say uh, Parker's ruling Friday effectively for now prevents lawmakers, listen carefully, prevents lawmakers from enforcing the controversial bill that restricted public drag performances an adult cabaret in Tennessee as a commercial appealers. Do you notice anything wrong with, uh, with the Rolling Stones description? Um, well, that lawmakers will not that. be able to, what? Here's the point on that. There was a law against cross-dressing for men to wear women clothes at one point in this 
Right. But no, the, the, the is, big the issue, though, is, is, is that, is that uh, once a sex show and the cheerleaders are, are supporting a sports team, this was determined to be like strippers. This is the, was the key point of the Texas of the Tennessee law, okay, which but, is so brilliant. <clears throat> is this is where they, I wanted to spend a lot of time on it. First of all, okay, <clears throat> Rolling Stone doesn't understand that lawmakers do not enforce laws. You know, mm-hmm. lawmakers make laws, but they do not enforce laws. The, the, right. the government doesn't. But so here's Trump's 70-page, uh, I mean, not Parker's, 70-page um, thing, and it deserves more than the time we have left to it. And, of course, mm-hmm. it, will, it will ruin your week, like the discussion we just had. Yeah. But the, the judge <laughs> summarizes under undisputed facts the Adult Entertainment Act in Tennessee. The text of the Adult Entertainment Act reads as follows. Uh, Tennessee code, blah, blah, blah. Um, adult cabaret entertainment. Now listen very, very carefully. A means adult-oriented performances that are harmful to minors, as that term is defined in 39.17.901, and that feature topless dancers, go-go dancers, exotic dancers, strippers, male or female impersonators, or similar entertainers. Now, remember um, Sesame Street, one of these things is not like the other. Mm-hmm. Topless dancers, that's a problem. Exotic dancers, that's a problem. Let's show strippers, that's a problem. What's a go-go dancer? I mean, I'm not young, and <clears throat> I'm not saying I, if I saw a sign for go-go dancers, I might go in to see what they are, but I have no idea what a go-go dancer is. Well, if the I mean, signs I, say that you can't come in, if you're under 18, you can't come in. And, and another thing, you talk about, you make a correlation between a, a what's the girls that be doing the thing at the sports show? What do you call them? Cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. Cheerleaders, yeah, you make a correlation with cheerleaders' uniform. That's the uniform that they wear as they perform with their performance, like a gymnast. Look at a gymnast. And the little tight, skimpy things that uh-huh. they were pulled. No. Beach, beach volleyball. Let's put that one in. But so yeah, what, beach what volleyball. The judge, <laughs> what the judge says is that, well, okay, so let's start with the law. You know, it makes me want to go up to the legislators and slap them. Um, and, you know, because what the hell are you doing writing a law that includes in the same section topless dancers and – male or female impersonators. Okay, if they're topless, I know that that's probably, although I don't know about men because they're on the beach, but topless female dancers, okay, that's, that's, I mean, you can't, a child cannot go into a strip club. That should not be remotely controversial. But why did you include go-go dancers? Because nobody knows what that is. This is supposed to be a definition. Um, exotic dancers, I kind of believe that that's, you know, probably sexually explicit strippers okay you you know you got me that's clear but the problem is male or female impersonators mm-hmm. so well, let me ask um, you a question john you got transvestites that's got a penis and has breasts now should they be able to have a loincloth on but being that they are male can they take their top off where the kids can see their breasts. Some of their breasts is 36. Some of them are 34. Mm-hmm. Their breasts they got nipples on them. Right. Well, but the thing is, is that the purpose of 
the legislature is to define exactly what they're talking about, and they didn't do that. So, I mean, the rest of the decision is outrageous, but it starts with the fact that the Tennessee legislatures did a bad job and wrote a bad law. Which, and, and then you'll see n- news articles saying that, that you know, dra- the anti-drag queen law was, stru- was struck down, and then, but they won't tell you why. And then all over the country, everybody says, oh, we can't pass these laws. Yeah, you can pass them if you do it right. Just write better laws. And I agree so, with you. you know, Tennessee, Tennessee's not going to come back. And, you know, for example, if someone is a female impersonator and they're dig- – I mean, I don't know what it is about homosexuality and those people that requires them to be naked in public and grotesque. I mean, if, if some if – some, if some man, you know, dresses like a librarian, um, I, I, I don't know that this would be in the same category. If he, if he pulls out his junk, okay, he needs to be arrested. And, you know, 100 years ago or 200 years ago, the father would probably go get his shotgun and, um, you know, and settle it right there. But, um, but the problem is that it's a badly written law. Now, the problem is is that is that this judge, instead of separating this and saying, okay, I'll go with you on topless dancers. I don't know what go-go dancers are. Uh, I'm sure it's probably not, you know, not a church group, but um, I'm not sure what it is. Exotic dancers, I'll go with you there. Strippers, absolutely. Um, But this law goes, you know, I'm not going to, I mean, in other words, the male or female persons, judges would normally separate these, these. They would not strike the entire law. And when you read how this judge uses this stuff to strike down the entire law, it's just you want to say, you know, where's my impeachment stamp? Um, this is just, I mean, this is incompetence. It's, it's um, corrupt. It's, it's against, I mean, to, to not say that, say, okay, I'm going to strike out, I'm not, it's unenforceable as to similar entertainers. I don't know what that is. It's unenforceable. You know what go-go dancers are? A go-go dancer is the equivalent of a cheerleader in a proper place dancing with cheerleader attire with boots. That's what a go-go dancer is. I was thinking about this too. This is an interesting question though, because I remember the old movies, the sixties movies, and you had the women in like the cages on platforms or or dancing like in the clubs and things like that. So those were go-go dancers. Okay. It was part of the entertainment and you had to be 18 or 21, depending on the drinking age to go in. But I think the essence, and I've actually put this in my calendar for next week, Jonathan, so we we can definitely talk about it. We should go line by line through this case because it's an exercise in judicial insanity. But the the whole idea was the the Tennessee, excuse me, Tennessee, not Texas, but Tennessee was trying to classify um, drag queen shows as adult entertainment. And that to me seems perfectly rational, perfectly justifiable. And so that's why they couldn't be in the schools because kids could not, you know, go see adult entertainment in schools designed for kids. And so if right, they wanted but, to, uh, but that, that but, seemed to me seemed very logical. So where, where did the law go wrong? But Greg, that's where like you and this group and other people spend a lot of time trying to struggle to write laws and get legislatures to pass them. To me, this law in Tennessee, if they take another hour to just write mm-hmm. it better, yep. 
it probably would would have survived the, the, this this crazy judge. But the way the judge and they also goes about should require hold on hold on Jackie. They should also require them to have licenses to dance like that, and the license can come under adult entertainment. Well, don't strip clubs have a license? The problem is, strip clubs. The problem yeah. is, is I suspect that I wouldn't take my mother to go see a go-go dancer. But the law doesn't define it. So if I'm a police officer and I walk in to a place say go-go dancers, are you go-go dancers? Mm-hmm. The police officer doesn't know officially. I mean, he may know from living life, but he doesn't know legally, are, are these people go-go dancers or not? Because yeah. it's not defined well, in the statutes. Yeah, we're going to pick this up next week, and like I say, it's already on the calendar. I've written it down. Um, but I want to just get a, an overall quick question for you, Jonathan and, and Sergeant Pianchi. Why would the left want to have drag queens in schools as opposed to ballet, as opposed to modern dance, although those can get pretty explicit, as opposed to folk dances from around the world? If they really want to bring entertainment into the schools, why are they bringing drag queens as opposed to different cultural kinds of dancing. Let's take ballet, for example. trying to deplore the mind of kids. They started mm-hmm. it off early. Declaration right. of the mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, Jim, I'll get to Jonathan for the last word. Yeah, look, there's clearly, look, cultural Marxism has now risen to the ascendancy. It literally is the effort to replace that which has been traditional, that which is considered classical, that which is considered edifying and uplifting, but that which is degenerate. Because if you could make people believe that degeneracy is good and normative and normal, then you can make them believe anything. And Mm -hmm. that's what it takes for Marxism to succeed. Because everything about it is at war and at odds with human nature. And so they do this kind of thing in order to weaken the strictures against basic transcendent objective truth. This helps them to do that. We are literally, we literally have the class of people that are dedicated to that particular evil proposition. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, a drag queen show is a sex show, and sex shows belong in adult entertainment. That's it. That's it for me, Jonathan. I'll give you the last word here, and then well, I think Darrell will be joining us. Well, the thing soon. is, a drag. I mean, uh-huh. you could have a drag queen. It's poorly defined. We all know that drag queen shows are very sexual. But when you're a judge and you're seeing like somebody comes in and is they've been accused of having a drag queen show in you know in front of minors, mm-hmm. the judge has to say, okay, tell me what that means. And um, and the and the legislatures failed to do that. So you say a drag queen show is a sexual show. I think that's true, but it's not it's not been defined that way. Mm. Um, and um, more the pity. I mean, exposing <laughs> genitalia. Um, all, all these things, you know, and, but, but let me just preview, I guess, next week. I'll probably <clears throat> repeat this, but the thing is, is that this judge goes on and on about the constitutional right to, you know, to engage in expressive conduct with not words, not speech, but of, of being, you know, of putting on drag show shows, even though children may see it. That is, that is so wrong. We have raging controversies right now in the January 6th context where they're using just political opinions to convict people. And we're trying to say, 
you can't use you know expressions of free speech, and the government is going berserk, saying, you know, um, the First Amendment does not does not immunize criminal criminal behavior. So the uh, you know the fact that you know the, the the fact that there are children present is the issue. Mm-hmm. You can express it all day day long with no children there. But once once you have children there, it's the children that's the issue, not the speech. You see what I mean? And don't, it's like and well, children have the right to be protected. But what about the rights of the parents to have their kids free from this kind of exploitation? Mm-hmm. Don't the parents if, have if, rights in this if, as if well? If they're a child, they can. What I would have done, I would have set an age limit. First, I would make drag drag uh, performers have to have a license. Then I would have set an age limit on on the attendees. Anyone under 18 can't come in. They do that now. And, you know, you may mention your mother. What about male strippers? Right, but, you know, would you go to a male stripper with your mother? She might have a right to go to male strippers, but I wouldn't wouldn't feel comfortable, you know, being part of that. Well, it depends on what um, it depends on what your preference is. So you you would have men who have a preference for men. They're watching men strip. But here's yeah. but it, we're talking, Jonathan. The, the, it falls on the age limit. The legislature could have said that uh, children under this age cannot view this. I mean, it's simple. Right. Yeah. On that note, let me hold you all up. Dorothy's here, and so I'll give the last word to Jonathan, and then we shall pick it up next week. It's already on the calendar, and we can go into excruciating detail like we did with Plyler v. Doe. Jonathan? Yeah, tune in next week and and take some antacid before you hear about the (laughs) judge's decision, how he he came up, defended this nonsense, because it it only gets worse. Yeah. Uh, So I'll talk to you uh, next week. Thanks a lot for for this. Thank you for inviting me early. Well, actually, you, careful, can, you can call anytime you want during the, the first hour because usually I'll be going over things that we'll be talking about with you anyway. I like to lay the ground, the the, the foundation in the first hour, and that's why I was kind of a little little tough on my guests uh, earlier, Sergeant Pianchi, but I really wanted to get that out there so that we could talk about it in the second hour. So they great, actually kind of work together. Great the third hour, we just go off great. to someplace I mean, completely different. Go ahead. That's better than a lot of constitutional law class. Uh, no, let me just say it's a, better, a great discussion, better than a lot of constitutional law uh, courses. Yeah, well, I try. This is one of yeah. your best two hours, Greg. Well, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, Mondays are, Mondays I get a chance to prepare for it, too. All right, gentlemen, take care. I'll talk to you all next week, and let's get on to Dorothy. Goodbye. I'll look forward to it. Sex. Everybody talks about it. Some of you are even doing it. But are you really talking to the person you are doing it with? It all comes down to communication. That's where Dorothy Diana comes in. Dorothy is a sexual health nurse educator. She has studied hypnotherapy, Reiki, and many other disciplines. And what is sex without sensuality? Something has to light your afterburner. Join us now for a sometimes very frank and occasionally quite descriptive conversation of sex and sensuality with Dorothy Diana. Yeah, this is the second part of our of our Sex and Politics Monday. We've done the politics. We've done the law. We've had the briefing. We've been over the Constitution. 
<sighs> so nice to take a break from that and just uh, just talk about uh, Dorothy stuff. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. How are you? Besides busy uh, and your brain full of important things. It is, but this is important too. And, and actually, I really appreciate the fact that we have a sex and sensuality report. It's not something most people do unless it's like a Dr. Ruth thing and that's all they talk about. But I, I think the fact that we incorporate this as part of our regular show lineup that uh, it is just as important as the politics, just as important as the legal stuff. We do travel, we do economics, we do everything else, but this is so much a part of our lives. And I think sometimes as I'm just kind of brainstorming here right now that it gets separated, you know, unless you're, you know, you only talk about sex in the context of a sex general thing, like a Dr. Ruth thing. But in reality, you know, sex is politics, politics is sex, life is breathing and they're all connected. And I never really thought about that. So just now, but, it actually makes sense to, to connect this in with everything else we're doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think if more people were happy in their intimate lives and really fulfilled, you know, in their emotionally and physically, the world would be a different place. And um, so it all goes together. <laughs> Sounds good to me. So what you been doing? What you been thinking? What new cafes you've discovered? What, what should we talk about? <clears throat> Well, I moved this past week, so I have found new cafes. I found several new coffee shops in my area. It's very fun for me to do that. And Mm -hmm. one has a full bookstore, and you sit there in the bookstore and get your work done. And uh, one is open at 6 a.m. and so cheerful. They all have my oat milk lattes and um, (laughs) really cute places in my new area. Really cute places. My oat milk, oat milk, yeah. Oat milk, I'm oat okay. milk I was wondering what you said, sweet. oat milk lattes, yeah. I never heard of that, but <laughs> that, that sounds very, very much you. You know, cafes, uh, we don't talk about this enough, but uh, when people, and I don't understand, we should talk about this more uh, in a different report, but people go to cafes to not talk to people. They go to cafes to sit on their computer all day. They, they get their latte, they find their table, they, they put like the cone of silence around them, and you never, you know, I mean, cafe, we, cafes used to be wonderful places where people would engage and meet new people, and you all sit at different tables, and, you know, we all kind of chat in Europe they do that you know I love the cafes mm. in Europe especially Italy mm-hmm. you know especially after siesta and then around the Trebia fountain in Rome you know you just drop into places and you know of course I had my jack with all my patches from all the countries I've visited they're like oh America and like, gee how did you know <laughs> how could we not know you know but people we talked yeah and these are international mm-hmm. situations that's right I mean, real so conversations yeah so what happened with, to cafes with... we need more of them you're so obsessed with cafes I love it um, It'd be great. You know what? Just keep putting that energy out there. We're in gay in consciousness. So, yep. you know, the gay in theory that, that we're all connected, and I believe that's mm-hmm. true. And so, yep. I, I mean, I, I think that they're everywhere. I mean, where I live, they're everywhere. So, I, mm-hmm. you know, I went to Pensacola area to visit my brother, and um, and that's kind of near you, I think. I, I wasn't really pleased with the options. I felt like the environment there wasn't super connected and um, there was something, the energy there was different. But here where I live, the cafes are, are big. And um, I'm really grateful for that. So, yeah, because I like to go and talk to people and have my coffee. <clears throat> well, I'll, I'll, um, I'll, uh, I'll take you to Mama Latte's, which is our local place. It looks like a, like a Nassau, you know, it looks like a Caribbean place. It's like pink and orange and blue and there's artwork and it's, it's really funky. And everything's on a chalk palm. And so that's, that's my my for a local cafe, but uh, you better let me know next time you're in town because I, you know, I want to meet you. So, um, in fact, I was talking to someone the other day that none of us, most of us, have not met each other. I've never met Pianki. I've never met Jonathan. I haven't met you. None of us have met Sarge on the line. I haven't met him. He's he's listening. Um, but I haven't met any of the folks here, and yet we're it's almost like we're one big happy family that's never met. <laughs> 
It's like we never sat down at the same table for dinner. Um, but yet we all know each other extremely well. It's kind of interesting. I know. It's wonderful how we can communicate the technology that was probably designed to, you know, further control us has actually opened so many doors and, and alchemized into Depends more truth and information. Yeah. Mm, we got, we got Marco who's into a... more truth, more truth and yeah. information to all of us, more ability yeah. to uh, connect and it depends on how far you want to take it. I and mean, you can live your life on a screen or you can shoot a text to someone and go meet them out somewhere and have that yep. in-person conversation. So speaking of conversation and connecting, uh, yes. mm-hmm. today's topic that I would like to you know, go over, if you're mm-hmm. interested, is, uh, is feminine communication. Specifically, of course I'm interested. Uh, communi- if you're going to tell me about it, I'm interested. Marco's interested in that. Yeah, um, and more specifically, well. communication like in, in the sex. So erotic communication, communication designed to increase the level of the sex life, to increase mm. the pleasure, to increase okay, now I'm um, really interested. Con- connection. Yeah. <laughs> So it's interesting because we've come so far, you know, since the Kinsey report and um, in the 60s, all the progress that was made in studying sexuality and studying the female orgasm and studying uh, everything about how how physical intimacy happens and how people get orgasms and how they get aroused. And it's interesting, I think, because with with all the, the media available, and information out there and even pornography, which has had a lot of harm, does a lot of harm, but also has the benefit of it's increased. It appears to have increased communication in the younger generations when it comes to sexuality. So there's less they're afraid to talk about. They feel like it's normal to just have open conversations more so than previous Mm -hmm. generations. That's a benefit. But even with all that, uh, it looks like recent studies show that um, 62% of women are still unsatisfied with their sex life. And that is a huge variety of reasons that we don't need to go into. But um, oh, you know, I want to one day. I want to know. <laughs> I want to know everything. Yeah. You know, hey, well, I mean, we'll always touch on touch on those. But it, well, I mean, we will touch on them today. But that, that wasn't the main the was main the goal. Thing, yeah. um, okay. It's a broad, just kind of a broad statement that that they report being unsatisfied. So I mean, look, some may not have partners. Uh, <laughs> I will do it. But. Um, yeah. Well, no, it's and, an interesting point because mm-hmm. I'm going to divide it up mm-hmm. when we talk about this. Is it women who are unsatisfied because of themselves or women who are unsatisfied mm-hmm. because of their partners? See, see, I've noticed a lot of Facebook posts. There's an awful lot of women posting <clears throat> that, uh, that mm-hmm. you know, that guys are this and guys are that and guys are – and, in fact, I actually had a discussion with, uh, with one person. I said, wait a minute. I said, you know, you're defining men. And she was defining masculinity. And, uh, and I said, well, you're defining masculinity in terms of what men can, men can do for women. I said, that doesn't define masculinity at all. So in the same way, if women are, are not satisfied with their sex lives, I wonder how much of it is blaming their partner as opposed to taking responsibility for their partner or responsibility for themselves. And that gets... It's, always, where, it's always your own responsibility. It's always your responsibility. I'm just going to okay. say that. And that's right. a broad... And that may not be popular, but and the reason it is is because none of us are, are victims when it comes to you know, entering relationship and, and committed relationship. So it's our job to look for red flags, to communicate clearly, to um, communicate in a way that the other person can receive it well, to choose a partner where that's even possible, that they've done their inner work enough that, mm-hmm. that they can receive a kind communication without hyper-defensiveness, reactivity, mm-hmm. that they want to bring us pleasure and that 
they want to know how. And so I don't ever believe that it's whenever someone does blaming, I mean, there might be a, a hint of responsibility on the other person's part, but really we're choosing that. That's what we're choosing for our life. So um, if we feel like we're stuck in a situation, there's always a pathway out. There's always a pathway to pleasure and joy and more love. And so it's just about finding that pathway. And there are, there are many tools to do that. But um, I think you agree with me on that, that this victimization uh, pathology is, is usually not accurate. No, and that will go for men who are complaining too. It's just, but the thing is, that people are too quick to blame something exterior and never seem to look to themselves or try and require things mm-hmm. of other people without maybe necessarily mm-hmm. understanding those other people or what they understand about themselves or relationships. Let's get back to to our main topic here because I'm kind of curious. Well, yeah, Feminine so communication, for instance, right. so for instance uh-huh. let's say it is a physical thing and her sexual interest is dwindling, estrogen levels are going down, you know, premenopause, and there's a lot of changes or. She has an undue amount of stress in her life. So wherever there's a problem, there's a solution. And that's the divine, that's divine blessing in this, right? That's the, I, there's always spirituality when, in my discussions. So, you know, if you have any sort of problem, you do work some work yourself and you pray and you give it to God and divine pathways open up. I have mm-hmm. several friends who have natural supplements that very much work for women uh, who just need um, more a little more libido, a little more turn on. Um, there are beautiful Female Viagra, so for, to speak? Or, or yes, and it's yeah. natural. There, there's many. There's many. And uh-huh. um, hormone testing is widely known about now. It used to be 10 years ago. It was very hard to find a practitioner that did hormone testing, and now it's really easy hmm. to find. You can see what your hormone levels are. And there's okay. natural ways to increase your estrogen or... Um, testosterone and and those are just ubiquitous so again problem solution how how determined are you to to find a solution and how you know is that really something you want or do you just want to complain and say no thanks i'm not into it no thanks i don't want to have sex and just let it ruin your relationship right take responsibility i think that's one of the tenets here but uh so feminine erotic communication feminine communication is, um, as we discussed before, a little more, tends to be a little more circuitous, tangential. Uh, the, not that I'm advocating for this, but a female, a typical female way of communicating may not be super direct. So let's say the window's open, the door is open, and mm-hmm. um, she's cold. Instead of saying, do you mind if I shut the door? I'm cold. She might say, wow, it's getting chilly. Hmm, do you feel that? Like, so you may want to, a woman may want to be a little more direct in bed. I mean, you, you can hint, but if hinting isn't getting it done, a lovely way to communicate something you desire is to either place your lover's hand directly in the area, being very appreciative with your noises and saying, wow, this feels so good, or um, whisper and tell him directly in a sexy way, like, oh, I was just thinking how good it would feel if you were to... XYZ. I mean, so surveys and studies across the board show that men want to be told. They want to know how to please their woman. They, Absolutely. And they, and they just frequently don't know how. Every woman's body is different. It's not that he's ignorant. It's that, you know, nobody sits down and teaches us to adolescent boys outside of that tribe in the Cook Islands, <laughs> which, <Yeah. laughs> which teaches adolescent boys exactly what to do from a young age and, um, and emphasizes how important pleasuring a partner is. We don't do that in the U.S. And so um, well, the, a problem, men too. want, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Men want the to know. Is, they want to know what to do. Yeah. And they want but to do it in a way that's not ball busting, right? So yeah. um, showing, whispering in a positive way, um, watching things together, feminist porn. Um, there's something called the Hype, H-I-T-E. If you look that up, that's excellent resource for um, really good uh, knowledge of the female orgasm and, all, and a lot of things sexual. Oh, I've heard of that, the Hype Report, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, right. so looking into that and that you can watch that or listen to that together. I mean, and there is a wonderful book called uh, She Comes First. And he did a really good job of I mean, literally, right? literally, t- about. you know, <laughs> this and taking a very why it's important for why it's beneficial for both partners for him to make sure that he pleases her first, that she has an orgasm first, why it benefits mm-hmm. him also and his pleasure um, how exactly to do it, many, many detailed instructions <laughs> on how to do it. Um, well, this actually makes a lot of sense, you know, that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, because there's a fundamental physiological difference that, you know, men, you know, can't do a whole lot after an orgasm and women are like, are just getting started after one. It's really kind of interesting. Physiologically, that makes perfect sense. Yes, and 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 t- typically not across the board, but typically uh, due to the a man's biological and chemical makeup, he tends to get tired after um, after sex and kind of need to go inward more than women who kind of want to reach out and snuggle and communicate more. So no, we go to sleep. I would think <laughs> I would satisfy her yeah. as many times as you can, as many yeah. times as you can, well, and um, before you have you. yours. Many times mm-hmm. over. Yeah, guys that don't know this, hey, guys, trust me on this one. You know, women women <laughs> should and do and can come first. And multiple times, great. Have all the ones you want. I don't care. Uh, because usually one's enough, I think, for most guys. Uh, because it, it, that's just another physiological thing. We don't need more than one. You guys can have all the ones you want. It's fine. Great. Love it. Have ten. Happy to help. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. uh, and but, it bonds so, a so woman to you. And it makes her, yeah. I mean, a healthy woman... And I don't, uh-huh. I don't know if this word is going to rub anyone the wrong way, no pun intended, but a healthy woman will feel grateful, actually. Um, there's an element of gratitude. It feels like the best gift. It feels like adoration of the body. It feels like mm-hmm. the most attentiveness, like all of, all of her needs getting met, especially if he's telling her things that are beautiful about her during the whole process. I mean, really, um, and, and, and she will be available for more. If, if, you do, if you do this the right way, she, she will be less likely to say no, even if things aren't great in the emotional part of the relationship, which usually those things are very connected. They almost always are. But mm-hmm. um, one well, makes sense, though. the other. So great yeah. physical sexuality, great intimate experience can actually then heal some emotional disruptions and vice versa. Yeah. Well, what kind of guy would not want a woman to... to you know, get hers first, if I can be so blunt, um, because simply because mm-hmm. the, the, the benefits that come back to you afterwards mm-hmm. far exceed mm-hmm. the woman that has not had an orgasm. I mean, it's just, it's just, I mean, a, she will brag about you to her friends. I mean, she will literally, which is what I live for, by the way, remind you, she'll remind hey, you. Let me tell you about, week. you know, this radio talk show host I met, you know, <laughs> what a great thing. <laughs> but, and, then she, and then the friends tell their husbands, I mean, it, it's it's a lovely thing for the ego. No, really, like um, that we should talk about. It'll keep because it's a guys, gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, yeah you um, know, and even when she's mad at you, and even when she can't stand you, and all those annoying habits, um, mm-hmm. she's gonna be hooked. She's gonna be, you know what? I mean, I can't give him up. He's so good, right? Okay, yeah, so let's talk about that. Jerk most of the time, more. but 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you have to fault. Well, you get away with a lot more. Um, and that's true. Men, men that are, are good in bed get away with a lot more. And uh, not that they should, but it's, it's just a fact because we get hooked with well, the listen, oxytocin and all that. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of things about life. You know, the woulda, coulda, shoulda, this is just the way things are. You know, it's like guys who say, well, women can have multiple orgasms. That's terrible. No, it's not. It's great. You know, it's going to come back to you, pal. That's right. Just try it. Mm-hmm. You know. It does. Uh, and, and for fertility, yeah. it's very beneficial. That orgasm sucks everything right up in there. So oh. um, for fertility okay. reasons, you want to have that orgasm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Okay. Yeah. So, if I ever plan to have more and, kids uh, <laughs> in my 60s, <laughs> that would be interesting. I'll, I'll keep that <laughs> well, in mind. Well, it's not well, over. It ain't over till it's over. All right. I just want to uh, mention. I just want to hear some boring oh, statistics do, just really quick. So okay. Then I got one point. There's yeah. been this discuss, discussion for 50 years plus about, you know, do women really oh. orgasm from vaginal penetration only? And interestingly, and, and interestingly, it looks like in the formal studies, the percentage is actually higher than when it's anecdotal, like therapists report from their patients. And even patients that have a healthy sex life that just want to improve things, anecdotally versus formal studies is two different answers. And it really looks like it's a lot less women than we used to think that can orgasm from vaginal penetration only. Mm-hmm. Anecdotally, it looks How like many five percent. Anecdotally, it looks like this is important. <laughs> Anecdotally, it looks like only five percent. And, and and we're talking about if there's well, so okay. So if there is vaginal penetration only, I have to talk soft because all my kids are around. Everybody's around. They've heard all this. I don't know what I'm. <laughs> yeah, you're about. only on the radio but, um, talking to like fifteen, you know, five continents right now. But that's okay. We'll just we'll worry about that later. And teaching a Zoom class last night. Teaching a Zoom yeah. class last night to PhDs mind-body healers, women that are so used to talking about detailed sexuality. My internet was Mm -hmm. bad, so I had to move from my private room into the center of the house. I'm like, sorry, guys, go to your rooms if you don't want to hear it. This is happening. (laughs) They're going to grow up very well Just to let you know, yeah, this is the the adult portion of the show, but yeah, anyway. Very well informed. I think kids can hear almost all of it, honestly, and I think it's good for them. They already all know it. Them. We'll talk they need about to see their sometime. adult parents uh, making out. Kids need to see their yeah. adult caregivers making out. Okay, I just want to put yep. that out there. All right. Sounds good. Um, 5% of women. <laughs> 5% of women. So this is a low percentage. And, um, and so it looks like in the studies, you know, if there is, if there is contact with the clitoris, if there's a lot of great grinding happening. This is not mm-hmm. called vaginal penetration only. This is still clitoral stimulation. And there's 8,000 nerve endings in the clitoris and the area around the clitoris. And um, there are so many ways to manipulate this area orally and digitally um, to give all kinds of amazing orgasms. And it is very worth it for men and women to research this, spend some time listening, podcasts in the car, or what have you, some of the resources oh, I Oh, that'd be a great conversation on the way home from the family barbecue. Hello, dear. Before we get to it tonight, let's listen to, let's see what the manual says. Yeah, how much fun is that? So, and um, and you never want a man to feel like you're not satisfied and that you need to do these things because he's not mm-hmm. enough. And there is a way to communicate feminine so that that is never the feeling. And I want to say this and put it in bold letters, shout it from the rooftops, appreciation, appreciation, appreciation. Always find the things he's doing right and go on and on about it and ignore the things that aren't going well or just move away if we're talking about physically in bed or out in the world with your man um, and, and do not give attention to the things uh, just ignore and do not give attention when you don't like it and, and give lots of wonderful attention appreciation when you do. And this is really sounds very simplistic. If you take this to the bed, it works beautifully also um, because 62% of women is estimated always orgasm during masturbation. And this just goes to show that when, when um, 
when touched well and correctly and when relaxed and not feeling self-conscious. And when there's a great intimate relationship, the orgasm can happen. And that is a, the low. So, so the, the rate of women that always orgasm, that's the low percent. Some studies find much higher. Um, mm. And up to 50% always orgasm during oral sex. And one of the keys of oral sex is the ability for the woman to, like I said, appreciate and communicate that first orgasm takes a lot longer usually. It takes a lot of persistence, a lot of skill on his part, and a lot of patience. And so um, not being afraid, a lot of women come to the bed sort of feeling like they don't deserve to have their needs met, feeling like they're too embarrassed to say what they like or need, or that um, maybe the man, oh, she doesn't want to be like, she wants to be more like the porn stars and not like a real woman who takes a longer, longer for that first one. And um, that varies day to day. That varies the meat she's in, the food she's eaten. That varies uh, with the relationship with the man she's with. But to be able to communicate, um, oh, the first one might take me a longer time. Is that okay? I mean, across the board, unless he's a real jerk, I'll be honest, or, you know, maybe it's a one night stand. He just wants to get his own men don't mind. So just communicate that in a sweet way and let him know when he's doing it right. And, um, anything on that, Greg, as a man? Well, I was just thinking that that's only going to help him uh, make it better for the guys. Guys want to, you know, there's uh, the word I wanted to get to before the one that disgusts me is the word performance. And mm-hmm. so I think mm-hmm. of like trained that. seals perform, you know, and uh, animals perform and, uh, you know, various and actors perform and things like that. But, uh, you know, men don't perform. And so that's part mm-hmm. of the problem is the communication. And if women think that men are there to perform for them, uh, that means they're supposed to be entertained by them or that they're judging men based on, you know, what to do for the women, as opposed to being, as we always talk about, a mutual experience. And so this is part of the problem for guys. We need to get away from this word performance, because what is performance for men? Is it the amount of, of orgasms you give a woman, or is it the, the quality of the time that you spend together and the shared experience and the humor and the good jokes and the, the wild conversations and the, you know, listening to Thunderstorm at 3 a.m. and this is cool. You know, all these other things well, that the go into percentage it. Of women, the vast mm-hmm. percentage of women want to just feel beautiful and feel like they're important and that their pleasure mm-hmm. is important to their man. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't think many women think about that word performance, I'll be honest. Whenever no, I'm saying I the guys do. The guys do, though. That, that's why I brought it up. It's, like, it's in other words, usually guys, the women that are performing, I'm going to be honest, because of oh, pornography okay. and social media. It's almost always the women that are performing. Hmm. They are really on this performance uh, wavelength. And I think we talked about the five layers of sexy and right. uh, performative, superficial sexuality is an epidemic. And when you have that, when you bring that to the table, that, that how I look and, and how he sees me and if, and if I'm making the right noises and if I'm looking like the porn star looking really perfect, if that's in your mind, the ability to orgasm goes way down. The key is being relaxed, connected, and vulnerable. And here's that key word, vulnerability. It comes up over and over. Hmm. The ability to laugh at yourself, the ability to to share something that might feel personal and embarrassing. And that gets me to um, the judgment portion. So if you have great feminine erotic communication, if he, in the height of his arousal in the sack with you, confesses a fantasy that seems to you super kinky or dirty or way out there and it's shocking, just kind of try not to express disgust, revulsion, offense, because what someone actually wants to do in real life versus their mm. secret dirty fantasies are two completely different things usually. And mm. it's just a 
it's just a fantasy imaginative playground. It's not, I mean, it's not most mature, healthy people in, in that really value um, the relationship with the opposite sex or the relationship they're in their intimate relationship with whomever and really have a healthy communication and really value um, like that very mature, evolved, super connected, long-term relationship. Um, they understand that a dirty, kinky, wild, out there fantasy isn't necessarily what their partner actually wants. And therein comes communication. And you can ask after you can say, wow, that was kind of hot and crazy what you were talking about. Like, like a little wink say, wow, do you really, do you, do you think you actually want to do that? Or is that something? And they're probably going to say, oh my God, no, I was just in the heat of the moment. I just like, I just like sharing. It felt so dirty and hot to just share that with you. And that's super fun. And that can become part of it. Like, and that really, that really creates more intimacy, actually, when you can be so vulnerable to your, with your partner that you can um, know that you can share whatever and they can receive it um, without reactivity, you know, just. Um, no, that's critical. Just, oh, uh, wow. Thanks for that. sharing that's, that. That's uh, hot, babe, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't have to talk about, you don't have to do everything you talk about. You know, this is, this is where Not dreams and fantasies. You know, and, but, but it's kind of fun to share. It's like, you know, here's what I really, you know, here's what I want to do to you, you know, and you can describe some, some great fantasy. Yeah, I want to have you on a harem, you know, with the, you know, and uh, feeding me grapes on this, you know, couch or something like that, whatever. That's Just make right. it a fantasy. It doesn't matter what it is. You know, <laughs> or, hey, serve what me, if we babe. were having sex and we looked up and all the neighbors were looking through the window? Like, in the heat of the moment, the idea of all the neighbors looking in the <laughs> window sex. might seem we, super hot. We've got to talk about but public actually, sex. But I mean, actually, it's probably yeah. horrifying for most people. Like, but in the heat yeah. of the moment, it might seem like a hot, you know, fictional story. Oh, my God, they're mm-hmm. all, you know, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. We left the window yeah. open, and they're having a garden party, and everyone heard us, and they're looking. But in reality, that would probably be horrifying. Or, you know, just at least embarrassing. <laughs> well, uh, but, there are things that are I mean, fun to think like about. That. It's not really. There are things yeah. fun to think about, but you don't want to necessarily do it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be crazy if. But what it does <laughs> is actually, even, <laughs> even though you don't want to do the actual thing you're describing, the fact that you're able to describe it to somebody and they can laugh at it with you, joke about it, come up with their own crazy ideas, that's a bonding thing. That's a bonding thing. Oh, so it you is. don't have to do it. And it's fun. You don't have to do it. And, and that's so, the whole point. That kind of, okay. that kind of feminine erotic thing, and I'm going to say this, and again, Everything mm-hmm. I say is never across the board. It's on a spectrum. It's a generalization. So when I talk about the feminine energy and the feminine geniuses, so the feminine energy is really good at soft playfulness, and they're usually very good at creativity and words. So it is a feminine gift to take those, take those strengths into the sack. And you can, your man will be so grateful, most of them, if you can start to paint a really sexy fantasy and, um, you know, just sort of make up something really wild and, and he's part of it. Maybe he's the star and um, whatever. And you kind of key into what your man kind of likes, what gets him going. And that is such a gift. He will be so grateful. And I don't want to say wrapped around your finger, but if, if the multiple orgasms are um, what keeps a woman really just kind grateful. Kind of enduring quality. You know, this yeah. kind like of my guy. fun he's supportive, play. He's wonderful. He gives me multiple orgasms. Yeah, he's great. Okay. <laughs> this kind of one. The conversation. Yeah. Well, there's okay. also a funny rap song called um, D2B. And I don't want to say the words. It's very explicit. But my ladies, when we dance, they really like it sometimes. I throw it in the mix because <laughs> it's funny. But she says. Um, Message me. Girl, what's wrong? My man ain't mm, like complaining about her man. Right. And they repeat it a few times. And she's like, well, why are you, you going to be with him? Well, I can't remember the exact words. And she's like, she goes, because B, 
um, D2B, which stands for his, his parts, his private parts are so amazing. And so it's really a fun song, but it kind of, it kind of surmised the truth. There's a truth to it, which is why it's a great song. And exactly. she gets up with him because That's like why humor is funny. Is so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I hate him the rest of the time, but the sex is great. D2B yeah, and but... dance around your kitchen. Uh, okay well you said it earlier it's actually interesting that if you have an amazingly good sex life people will put up with horrible relationships and bad conditions and a bunch of other stuff Mm -hmm, for some reason mm -hmm. interesting yeah yeah it's that that addictive addictive chemicals okay so i want to say three tenets i believe of great feminine erotic communication and Mm -hmm. um appreciation communication so appreciate 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 um Mm -hmm. be soft and playful um let, let your words paint pictures and uh, filled with love and uh, fun and creativity. And I, I want to emphasize self-care. So a woman must have her own bucket filled and feel amazing. So self-care mm-hmm. is exercise, taking walks, eating healthy, because um, in order to have a high self-esteem and communicate from your heart, the truth of your heart instead of from your ego and wounding, so that's very important in an intimate relationship to be able to communicate from your heart and not be like mixing up old wounds and baggage that blame or, um, or confuses or creates more problems. And that's all um, self-care and self-esteem and, and mm-hmm. being able to listen to your heart and be in touch with your emotions. So, you know, it gets very deep. Um, in, but it's, but it ta- when it comes to intimate communication and, and a healthy sex life, it all goes together. A woman that neglects herself outside the bedroom and is overburdened, overstressed, um, mm-hmm. is ignoring and pushing down her feelings, is just operating on get it done, get it done, get it done, is not going to have much to offer in the bedroom because she's fully depleted. And um, if, if there's a situation where he knows that her life is like that right now, he can use that time to fill her up. But again, taking responsibility and, and insisting, prioritizing above all else, um, your own happiness and mm-hmm. self-care, I feel is crucial. It's crucial. And the Whoa. divine will absolutely allow you to do that if you believe you deserve it. And again, spirituality comes in. You must manifest these things in your life. If you believe that you don't have time, if you believe life is hard, if you believe that, um, that you uh, always have bad luck. So these limiting beliefs, will then become true and the universe says yes. But if you, you can then change all that by, by self-talk and mantras and self-care. And the, it's amazing how the world will change and all of a sudden your life gets a little easier, pathways open up. But just to say my life is too hard, I don't have time for all this. He, you, know, my, you know, I can't take care of myself. I can't, I, you know, to me that's the same victim pathology, Greg, honestly. Yeah. And, yep, all men mm-hmm. suck. There's no good one out there. I see that all the time on Facebook. It's kind of interesting, even on single. And if you say that, that's exactly what you get, because yeah. the universe says yes. That's right. That's what you get. Yeah. You get You've all manifested men. You get, it. You get yeah. the sucky men yeah. that are terrible, and and it's just not true. Mm-hmm. But doesn't the same thing apply to men too? In other words, you know, we we have our own buckets that need filling. You know, if a guy works 12 hours of construction, you know, and it's it's 95 degrees, <laughs> you know, and he comes home and she says, I want you now. <laughs> and the guy's like, yeah, great. Give me about an hour. Let me have some, you know, cool whatever, you know, and I'll, I'll you know, be right. No, you don't love me anymore. You should, I want you now. Here, have a Viagra. You can do it. You know, prove to me. Yeah, you know, that's so interesting. Many, so many miscommunications that I, I think guys have a bucket too. And, and most of the things I find that you, you apply to women, I think apply to men just as much, but we have never talked about it. 
we as men. Have you seen that? We, we I, have society. you seen a lot of that? I you see everything, almost everything you say. Where, well, where, I, except um, for physiological. Where women are telling men to take a Viagra? Oh, I'm sure that happens. Um, I, you know, I, I haven't. I've seen actually the opposite. Like middle really, aged don't take a Viagra. Like, why the hell? Well, because uh, this it's, it's only the cultural view that vaginal penetration, vaginal penal uh, penetration is, is a woman's delight. It's, it's obvious from all the studies that it's oral. And so um, okay. most women, by the time Which the man stops having, yeah. well, by, by the time the, the man stops having these very frequent erections that he had age, you know, 15 to 25 or 30, by the mm-hmm. time that starts to dissipate, usually the woman's body also, if, even if healthy, hormonally healthy, begins to be a little different also. She doesn't really want that. Um, you know, she wants more communication, connection, longer foreplay, more of a tantric type sexual experience where it's focused on, you know, connection and energy and, you know, the penetration can come or go. It can last however long. And it's really the other things that are more important, the finger touching, yeah. hand touching, oral. So it's like the childbearing years, you know, I hate to say, I mean, biologically, I mean, culturally, economically, 15, 25, no, it's 15 too young. But, uh, but as far as physically, uh, it kind of makes sense that the most, you know, sexual energy penetration, that kind of stuff is going to happen in, in during childbearing years. And that as we get beyond those, you know, further and further it becomes much more of a relationship, much less of a physical automatic pilot. It's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. 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 Yes. Well, okay. So, I, I'm not just to, I don't Have I thrown you off your, your train of thought? I thought they were good. Not at all. Not at all. No. Uh, okay. So communication, and right. we talked about feminine communication, appreciation, and details, mm-hmm. and soft and playful, self-care, and uh, self-love, so healing the inner wounds. And with those three things, um, the feminine can really uh, fulfill what I consider her role in the relationship. So now you have polarity, which is huge, because the goal is really to get along better, have supercharged, exciting masculine feminine polarity, because polarity mm-hmm. is what creates the, um, the sexual attraction and the chemistry that does never have to go away. And the goal is a great physical sex life where um, – if if she feels like it, she can always orgasm, and he knows how to get her there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and why she, she never be tired of the person. This way, she'd never be tired of the person that you're with. And these folks, I guess they say, lose interest after years. It's like, a, you're not communicating. B, uh, you know, if it worked at first, it should it should keep working. Uh, I would think. But I mean, you, people but, change. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. But that's when the relationship contract, I'm a fan of that, and then the ongoing, like, relationship meetings, right? And then she, you keep yourself happy. Like, you keep your life exciting. Don't make all your happiness depend on your partner ever, ever, ever. You should yeah. always have your own circle of friends, your own interests. Um, you should be able to bring to the table a happy, exciting person fulfilled outside the mm-hmm. relationship. And that's exciting and fun to be around, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah, especially, you know, the, the the guy gets with the woman together and he's like, guess what happened? You know, I did this, this and this because I think we're very accomplishment oriented and women are more mm-hmm. feeling, well, I feel this, this and this. And I think mm-hmm. one of the big things to do is to understand that it's just as valuable for the guy to talk about, I did this, this and this. And for the guy to hear the woman saying, I feel this, this and this and this is what I've experienced and this is how I want to communicate. And I think that gets missed, too. That people don't. I think that each men, other. I think a healthy man, a healthy man loves to hear a woman's feelings and loves to be um, mm-hmm. privy to her, her true authentic feelings that have nothing to do with blaming him or mm-hmm. making him responsible, but just sharing how she's feeling, sharing her desires and her feelings and seeing her cry, seeing her laugh, seeing her 
be silly, seeing her be vulnerable, I think that's very feeding to a man's soul. And vice yeah. versa, I think men really appreciate it when a woman sees his accomplishments and says, wow, mm-hmm. I can't believe you did all that. You, I don't see how you managed to balance all those things. You're really yeah. so successful at that. I don't see how you do it all. I really appreciate you. You work so hard. And to really listen to, to what he did, like you were saying, and understand how important it is for him and how valuable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you something else to say. I used to work in a gun store years and years ago, and there were two types of guys that came in. The, one that, the ones that would say, you know, it's, I'm going to buy another gun, you know, and, and the other guys would say, well, my wife won't let me have another gun. I'm like, what the hell's going on there? I said, you've just taken away everything that this guy wants to do, feels, you know, and things like that. And for women, especially, if you, if you take away what a guy wants to do or be, uh, if it's a purchase, you know, then go purchase what you want to purchase. I mean, there's got to be a way to do that. But I think a lot of things get ruined and the guys, we really value. I think possessions more than women. It's like, you know, if, uh, if I can own a 67 Corvette, I'm going to be really happy, you know? And when it's like, well, it's just mm. a car. <laughs> Wait a minute. You know, well, if I, what if I said your feelings were, ah, they're just feelings. They don't count. It's not that big a deal. It symbolizes really something mm-hmm. yeah. and, you know, okay. and, and it does, it symbolizes youth and vitality and success and, Men need to feel mm, like winners no, no, well, in life. This is, this is, uh, this is, I just, actually, I went to a car show recently. It's kind of funny. But I say I mm. disagree with you. It's not what it symbolizes that's important to the guy. It's what it is. Mm. So in other words, mm-hmm. why do guys want guns? Well, because it's a symbol of manhood. It's a, it's a, it's a this, that symbol. It makes a person. No, we just like shooting them. <laughs> I think women mm-hmm. miss, miss the simple things. And because they're looking for sometimes, I wonder, I, I never thought about this until just now, but I wonder if women sometimes look for too deep uh, an inner hidden meaning when there really isn't one. We like cars because they go well. Back. I can I can you say know. for sure for some men for sure mm-hmm. when they are going through certain phases in their life where they're looking for certain things they will buy a, a maybe a car that they'll suddenly buy a car that they possibly can't afford or that's very impractical for their lifestyle. For some men, it they does symbolize something. It does yeah. make them yeah. feel something that they're afraid of or that they're lacking. That does yeah. happen. Yeah, um, I'm, like I'm sure it does, but I, I, I think for most guys, you know, I mean, the, so the, I have a man page on Action Radio. It's just, just for the guys. Mm-hmm. And they don't talk much. It's really too bad. I wish I could get them open up more. But I think if you talk to most men, and I feel pretty typical, that uh, there's a lot of, you know, I, I like World War II airplanes because they're fast and fun. And I love to fly one. I actually sat in the back of a B-25 mm-hmm. bomber, you know, going flying backwards down Pensacola Beach. This is great. I didn't think, wow, I'm in a powerful airplane that symbolizes my manhood. No. It was like, this is really cool to fly backwards. In, a, in an old bomber. And so I wonder mm-hmm. sometimes that if women, you know, just as you as women want feelings validated, that I think guys mm-hmm. want, you know, what we want validated. And it, this is why I say that the bucket is the same. We just have different, we put different things into our buckets. Men put different things in their buckets than women do. And what men put, might put in would be, I want a, you know, Colt 45, you know, peacemaker from 1832. And that might be the thing in the world. Some, and the guy and women are like, well, it's just a gun. What do I care? You know, it doesn't help me. I don't, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't get my, you know, whatever in the house done or, or I mean, I'm mean, stereotyping. I don't know. I feel like if a that. woman feels safe, if a woman feels safe and she can trust mm-hmm. her man to make good financial decisions for the family, I think this mm-hmm. comes into play also. I wouldn't, mm-hmm. I don't think most people begrudge someone having something that makes them happy, but you know, a woman has to rely, I mean, look in a polarized relationship that's traditional, mm-hmm. a woman yeah wants to rely on the man to have, make sure they have family has safety and security. And so Mm -hmm. it's possible, it's possible that some men might be buying a gun when they can't afford groceries that month or, 
Unless you know, that is part of the security, a, that, depending on where you live. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thought, too. Right, but you said another gun. So, oh, another gun. Yeah, exactly. In other words, I guess it could it's be. just so, for you know, fun. I don't, don't story, need but... it. We don't need it. So this is something that I think, I think, well, here's a question for you too. Do, do women, when it comes to you know, purchases or things that they value, is it based on need? Like, I really need this. As opposed to a guy who might say, I've got 15 guns in the gun closet, gun cabinet. I want, but I really want this one. I don't need it, but I really want it. Um, do do men and women look and, at that and, You know, we've talked about like addictions and consumerism. No, and no, not, like no. That. I'm not talking about so, it in a pathological sense. I'm just mm-hmm. talking about it in a general sense. Mm-hmm. Do, do, do women understand that guys, you know, may not need something, but they may just want it just because. I'm and sure. that, that might make people, them incredibly all, all happy. People, all people yeah. do that across the board. But okay. again, we, you know, there is that element of consumerism addiction where we cover up emotions and we make poor uh-huh. financial decisions because we haven't healed and we haven't. This is across the board, again, ubiquitous. So, mm. you know, if we're talking about um, I don't need it, but I want it, and my partner is not happy with that, well, there's a reason. There's a lot going on there. So don't okay. just go get it. Um, why isn't she happy with it? What decisions have I made in the past that haven't felt safe? How is she mm. not getting her needs met? Like, there, there's going to be reasons. I, I, unless, I mean, I, don't, I can't think of why a person would just, for no reason at all, begrudge someone else's happiness, you know. See, so. I've seen it, though. That's the, that's the funny thing, though. It's like I say in the stories. I mean, the guys that said, I can't buy a gun. My wife won't let me. I'm, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got a problem. Right. You got a, you got a much bigger problem than, you know. But and why won't it was she fascinating. let him? It's not that simple. Why won't well, she why let does, him? Well, like why, why is it even not, her choice, It may not be grocery so. money. Yeah. Well, okay. if, all right. yeah, if so, they've lost yeah. their polarity, if he is not uh-huh. a good masculine leader in the family, uh-huh. and she's had to yeah. take over, which happens all the time. And she's had mm-hmm. to take over. And so now she's managing the kids. She's managing mm-hmm. the food. She's managing the, the social activity. Now she has to also manage, you know, a husband that sort of, I'm going to be honest, got soft and weak and isn't being a good leader of the family. This is, mm-hmm. happens a lot. And, and um, again, it takes yeah. you to tango. But she's telling him you can't buy another gun because she is now leading the family because he has failed to lead the family. Or there's another possibility too that she's a compulsive spender mm-hmm. on shoes. Let's let's compare guns and shoes. Of course, so it's like you can't buy a gun that. because mm-hmm. I want more shoes. You know, and so just so as a metaphor, spending and yeah. compulsive spending is an addiction that's covering up other mm-hmm. emotional issues. Right. So, so the know, question again, is, we have communication. We have entering a long-term relationship with agreement. Yeah. We have keeping polarity. We yeah. have ongoing communication, healing inner wounds. Right. Oh, absolutely. But it, what I'm saying is that if, 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 and this goes for either partner, if one partner is, is, thinks that their needs are more important than the other partner's, or the other partner doesn't have needs, or they, they have to justify them to the first partner, that I think mm-hmm. is a huge conflict. So in other words, the guys that came in and, and, and said, yeah, I talked about this with my wife and, and agreed, I'm getting a gun. This, you know, this, is my, this is my new gun for, for this year. You know, those are the happiest guys. It was mostly guys buying guns. I mean, mm-hmm. I had women buying guns too, but they're usually recently widowed and scared. Uh, that became kind of a specialty, you know, which is kind of interesting. Um, but uh, but the guys, you know, guys buy guns for fun. Women will buy them for self-protection. So there's just a difference. But as a, as a metaphor, you know, in other words, but making speaking more generally, if you look at somebody else, if you don't look at somebody else's needs, and you know, and it may be material, it may be spiritual, it may be all kinds of different things. You know, you, they, you know, you you've got to look at other people as they see themselves. Or you're not going to understand them, and I think that's just as critical a part of communication is looking to why. Why would they do that? Why? What's what's going I'll on? I'll tell here? you, as and a I, feminine woman, if I have a uh-huh. man, and we have financial goals that we're on our way to meet together, and uh-huh. um, we aren't exactly where we want to be yet, 
And we're both kind of making sacrifices. We have this great plan we're doing together. And he goes out and buys another gun, and we have several. We don't need another one. He doesn't talk to me about it first. You don't share it first. I'm going to feel unsafe. I'm going to feel a little strange, like there's a problem. So here is the relationship contract. Here's the monthly meetings. Here's the, you know what, honey, Mm -hmm. my job is is actually at risk. I found out that they're going to do a bunch of layoffs, and I just suddenly had this. I just felt so, and I just wanted to go buy this gun. I just, I know it didn't, wasn't practical. I probably shouldn't have done it, but it just made me feel better in the moment. Oh, like, you know, I take it back. Like you know, everything is forgivable, it. but there's a reason, you mm-hmm. know, there's a reason that that if he's doing that, she, there's always a reason is what I'm saying. It's not because but she doesn't want him to be happy or because she doesn't want his needs yeah. to be met. It's because there's a feeling of unsafety. There's a feeling of untrusting. There's a lack of communication. There's a lack okay. of polarity. And that starts before you're married. So a lot of women, a lot of people enter relationships and they think, I'm going to fix this guy. He's got bad spending habits. But you know what, that'll that'll go away, you know, and and it's not going to. He's certainly not going to change after you're married. You know, I mean, very rarely. I mean, possibly, but very rarely. You know, it's interesting. You've never looked at the positive case. Every case, every time you, 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 you've answered this question, it's always been the negative. Mm-hmm. We need more money. I don't mm-hmm. feel secure. But you've never said, well, it'd be a great thing if a guy you know, went out and did this. You know, like I said, the scenario was well, they got I'm, the money. You know, well, they talked but, about it. They yeah, agreed. But, but you told me the story that she said he doesn't he, – he said I can't buy it. She said he can't buy another gun. Right. So that's, that was a different scenario. So, so, so I gave you yeah. two. And, th- and this is my gun store experience, right? So the guys that were coming, mm-hmm. the happiest ones, mm-hmm. like I said, were the ones that came and said, we talked about it. You know, I'm going to get this. It's great. So uh, I think there's an assumption that, like I was saying before, that women look to their needs. I mean, I think everybody looks to their needs first, but it, it really, you know, I see it as a guy that women a lot of times will mm-hmm. say that your needs aren't as important as my needs. And that is a huge turnoff and a huge problem in the relationship. So in other words, you I've can't buy a gun because that. I'm, oh, you haven't talked to the guys. I haven't heard that. A woman say your there. needs aren't as important as my needs. Well, I mean, not, those no are pretty strong that. words. No one's yeah, going to say yeah. that, but they're going to show mm-hmm. that. They're going to demonstrate it. In, in other words, mm-hmm. you can't buy this because I need this. You can't do this mm-hmm. because I want to do this. And that I think is is very much a because uh, I always well, see that's women, very masculine. You know, women, that's the that's a very masculine controlling way to handle your relationship, isn't it? And and the shadow of of the feminine, the dark shadow, is control. It's very interesting when she hasn't done her work. Mm. But that, that's what I'm getting to. Is like there is a control mm-hmm. thing, uh, and I, and I wonder, you know, sometimes if if women grow up watching their moms tell their dads what to do, Good dads, you know, traditionally, the gr- women grew and, up. The women grew up watching a man who was not a fully realized masculine leader and a woman who was forced into her masculine this is very common because she had to take on the masculine and the feminine and now we had no feminine nurturing so no example of feminine nurturing feminine nurturing was therefore seen as something to be avoided something weak something um i mean there's so much here there's so much here um so now in relationship if she hasn't done her work uh she'll have fears and want to be controlling and not be able to trust and then, therefore, he will become not trustworthy and he will become unsafe because, I mean, there's, it's just this, you know, cycle that happens, right, when the work isn't done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not, I, I wasn't trying to be, give it a negative, a negative approach no, no, no. each time. I, I, just, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what, a satisfied woman who trusts her man as a leader mm-hmm. is not going to blink when he goes to get a gun. She's going to be like, oh, baby, that's so exciting. Show it to me. How fun. Oh, my goodness. You know, or this is be there's another thought, opportunity. Yeah? There's another thought, too, that, that uh, you know, what if she wants to go with him? Hey, can I help pick it out? You know, I want to try it, too. I want to mm-hmm. go to the range with you. 
You know, and so I'll tell you, there's nothing I think that, that most guys would, would like better than a woman that says, yeah, I mean, it's not my primary interest, but it's, it's important to you. Let's go. Let's show me what you show me which one you, you might want to get. Let's let's go do this. Go to the range. You're going to have the best sex afterwards. Your guy goes, gets a new gun, goes to the range. Every time he's going to come home, he's going to want you. Guarantee it. Hmm. So just like and some men would like the private time, their private guy time, kind of, you know, to go with their guy friends and. And that's fine too. Yeah, so you, you, don't think, you don't think whatever works. Uh, mm-hmm. Trust you don't think guys would want to have have their their woman with them at the shooting range, and and be able I mean, to, like to the share that experience. And I I think there's been plenty of guys okay. I've met that think that's great, but I wouldn't assume it in a relation. I wouldn't assume it. I know that a lot of men want want some time just to kind of, you know, I'm chatty, and so <laughs> a lot of women are, ch- you know. I think either one is fine. Greg, yes, I think some would love it. And I think some would like their alone time. I think that's, that's where the communication comes in and the intimacy and the no hurt feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just listen to the person and I can always go to the range a different time. I can join guns for gals or we can go together and both is fine with me, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we can even talk about our experiences at home. If you're going separately with a guy's group or you're going to do your own thing and and that's mm-hmm. what you prefer. Then we just talk about it at home. Like, oh, I had so much fun. I had a different trainer today. He was so helpful. And, mm-hmm. um, but I think we can share more. I think that this would be an incredible way to, to fill each other's buckets. You know, in other words, mm-hmm. if, if the woman said, hey, let's go to, let's go to Gunsville. Let's see what you're going to get. And afterwards, would you join me at my favorite cafe? And be like, yeah, let's go. You know, let me sit there with the fern bar. You know, let me see where you chat. I think shared experiences are great and where we're compromising and we're both Mm -hmm. supporting each other's hobbies and interests. And Mm -hmm. I see your heart and I know that that I know that you, this man that I chose, would probably Mm -hmm. like it if I if I suggested a gun date for both of us, a gun range date for both of us. Then this Mm -hmm. man, I know his heart, would probably enjoy doing it by himself. Although he he'll agree if I want to go because he loves me, but I, well, I know him pretty well, and I know yeah, that he yeah. probably wants to do that by himself. So I can say, hey, mm-hmm. you go there. I'm going to go meet my friend, and then let's go meet at the cafe after. Do you want to do that? Like, and again, hopefully he sees my heart, and he and he wants to do. Um, maybe he doesn't like cafes, but but he knows I do, and and he'll he'll try to find the beauty and joy in it and meet me there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Yeah, hey, I've been to several antique stores. It's not my favorite thing to do, but the people I was with. Really loved it. I was like, okay, let's see what I can find. You know, so, oh, but, I can't imagine. I would do it, but I don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, the scariest thing about antique um, stores is when you find something from your childhood. You'll get there. <laughs> that was really weird. Okay. So, yeah. And so, yeah, okay. so, so feminine communication mm-hmm. when it comes to great physical relationships. So we talked about mm-hmm. appreciation, how important that is to appreciate the big and little things and, and have positive communication versus please don't do that. I didn't like you did that. That made me feel crappy more like right. what you do like, and then just moving away from what you don't like or moving the hand away or just gently um, uh, never showing shock judgment or criticism when there's um, something that, uh, you know, is shock like surprising to you or different, just, you know, um, mm-hmm. no reactivity and maybe just kind of, playfully bring it up later if you'd like to know more about what he's thinking or what she's thinking <laughs> and um, share very clearly physically or verbally what you do like and emphasize very much when it's good and maybe re- reiterate between uh, sessions between you know sexual encounters reiterate at an appropriate time maybe by a surprise sexy text or or whisper in the ear what you loved and um what you want to try if you've thought of something else, you know, um, 
possibly watch something together that's educational and also erotic. There's plenty of resources out there. And, uh, yeah, read up on it and just continue to improve your techniques and, you know, continue to have those conversations. Oh, make it a hobby. I mean, why can't this be recreational? Mm. Let's see what what we can do this time. You know, I mean, uh, we need to put guys to, like, you know, playful 101. It's just something so serious. You know, I, I hear from women. The guys, don't talk, don't say this, don't laugh, we're having sex, it's serious. I'm like, what, what the hell are you guys talking about? This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Lighten up, have some fun. So there's a, you know, we could do things for guys too. You need to do like a, like a yeah, playful guy one-on-one right. workshop. Like, yeah. To not be, to be relaxed, laughing, laughing, mm-hmm. unless it's like that neurotic kind of laughter. Yeah. But, um, laugh, laughing indicates relaxation and playfulness. Two great components mm-hmm. for great sex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're not performing. Yeah. Um, I wrote some down as you were talking. I, I had this sort of saying for, for young managers that I run into. Educate, motivate, delegate. You know, that's the, that's the secret. So you teach people educate, how to do stuff. motivate, they delegate. Delegate. Yep. And so you delegate so that you have, you're training your successors. You're always doing that. I do that on the show here. I have people that I'm thinking, okay, now who's going to take over more stuff? You know, because I'll, I, I got like 30 years, maybe I can do this. And they'll be like in my 90s. Um, other than that, um, but yeah, educate, motivate, delegate. So what I thought of for relationships would be communicate, educate, motivate. So communicate, mm-hmm. start talking, educate, mm-hmm. tell people what you like, mm-hmm. motivate, inspire them to do it. So maybe that's yeah, I agree. Process. Educate, educate. Yeah, by being clear about yourself, not necessarily lecturing mm-hmm. or. Oh or, no, no, no! Education, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, educate communicate, educate, and, motivate. Yeah. 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 What do you think? I I like it. Okay. Yeah, and then just knowing how to motivate, like how how your person is motivated, and and mm-hmm. and that obviously differs between masculine and feminine. It differs between you know. Um, personalities but knowing your partner really well like how what motivates what motivates them and it's usually feeling good right it's usually feeling like there's a reward right there's a wonderful yeah. reward <laughs> yeah the more you give the more you receive it's just a simple rule of nature <laughs> it's just it's, it's the laws of, one of the laws of the universe you know Isn't everything that true you. Yeah, everything, everything you give, you receive, you know, multiple times over. Um, I wonder sometimes, and we only have a couple minutes left here, I wonder sometimes if, uh, if people think in terms of, of a clinical and, and statistics as opposed to individuals, because we're all different. In other words, well, you're a man, you should feel this, or you're a woman, you should react to this, as opposed to who are you? You know, what do you, who are you as a person? And just throw out all that stuff. And just, you know, almost start with a blank slate and, 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 and talk to your person and sort of, you know, build. It's like you're not building just a relationship. You're building a relationship with this person. I think sometimes we, we get caught up in the labels and the, uh, and like I said, statistics, the contracts, the, the expected behaviors of the category. You know, you're a man, therefore this. You're a woman, therefore this. And I think people mm-hmm. miss the fact that we're all different. We are all individuals. And that whatever mm-hmm. motivates one person might, not, might be horrifying to another. Um, depending mm-hmm. on, you know, uh, so do you think sometimes we get, I mean, I, I like the statistics because they're really revealing of, of things that, that I don't, just kind of fun to, to hear these things. But in some ways, you don't want to let that dominate. You still want to get back to the individual. You still want to relate on a personal level and work together. Is that, well, not work together, but have fun together as a team. You've got a partnership. You've got something that you're sharing together that no one else can participate in in the same way because, first of all, you don't want them. But secondly, uh, there's this unique bond that you can only achieve with one person. Every bond with every person is different. But I, mm-hmm. I just want to let the statistics get in the way. Well, of, I'll tell of you time. what. You can, bring out, you can bring out all kinds of different sides of somebody. Um, they can be who they are, but they will behave differently with every single person in their life. 
And, mm. you know, sometimes it's amazing, especially when you have kids, they'll be like, you know, a teacher will brag about my child, how helpful, how always listening, how always answering the questions, how cooperative I say, my child? And then I realized, you know, that, that they're responding to that, to that teacher's uh, both professionalism, technical knowledge, as well as her emotional communication and consistency. And, you know, kids always behave differently for our teachers than they do for parents, but um, they'll behave differently teacher to teacher, right? So. I asked my sense guy not to ring my very loud new doorbell that plays Beethoven's fifth, but he did it anyway. <laughs> that's okay. Um, so if you hear that in the uh, background, it's a very interesting doorbell. I just that's, that's one of my but, uh, um, that's yeah. one of my sound selections. <laughs> I am Wednesday I am Wednesday's show with Beethoven's fifth. Fridays the eighteenth show, Thursdays <laughs> Rossini. You want to hear you want to hear a minute of Beethoven's fifth? Well, what I want to do is just finish my thought real quick um, oh, on, on the individual. Because when you said, no, that's okay. I interrupted myself, but I'm back. Tangential female communication happening. So um, <laughs> when you talked about, can't we just look at the individual? Of course, of course, of course, of course. Mm-hmm. I think there might be a lot for a lot of people. There might be an error happening when they assume that they can just be whoever they want and the person's whoever they want and everything works out great. There is a real truth to to intimate relationships being different than just friendships. So there's a lot of people that fall into a lack of sexual desire and interest because mm. they've treated their their significant other with with just a friendship type of oh it's all we just we're just best friends we're just best friends. Masculine and feminine polarity energy is real, and that's what keeps the juice in the relationship. That's what keeps the gold, the, the real. Um, and, and, again, if you have somebody who's sort of um, energy neutral or energy in the middle or two people that are, that's probably different. But know, know what your goals are for the long term, um, you know, because talking about my children's example, just saying people behave differently with different people. So a lot of women will say, you know, our, the fizz, he just never asked me to marry him and he never wanted commitment and we seemed to get along so great. We went all these dates and just never, and then I finally broke up with him after a year and a half and within three months he was engaged. And that's not because he changed a whole lot as a person. It's because who you were with him was different than how she was. And I don't want to get too in the weeds on that right now, but Next just week. to be aware Next of that. Topic. Yes, everyone is yeah. an individual and, and, and yeah. all these rules about masculine and feminine energy, you know, let's just treat people, but there's a reality to primitive biology and, um, you know, the psychology of attraction, right? Oh, <laughs> so listen, we, we could that. do male-female friendships. That. We could do all kinds of things. You know, we should. I, I want to do next month. I, I, I posted just real quick before you go. Uh, I made a post that got an incredible reaction. Uh, over the weekend. I was just joking around. Uh, let me see if I can find where I, let me get my Facebook post. I'm actually bringing them up uh, closer. Uh, oh, I, I, I put, how's this? Oh, hetero, pride, yeah. hetero Pride Month in celebration of men having sex with women and women having sex with men. This is like, and I'm, my account's restricted, as you know, because, you know, and I got 70 responses. Yeah, let's do it. Do you mean, so this uh, is whole, do you mean X, X, Y, and XX, or do you mean women that have transitioned? What women? No, 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 no. It's not transition at all. But, you know, this is, this is mm-hmm. in celebration of men you know, men, X, Y, having sex with women, X, X. I wrote it as a joke. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, apparently mm-hmm, a lot mm-hmm. of people, you know, took a serious, we didn't, we didn't talk about this. This is a whole hetero underground movement. Uh, and, and then there was another one that, uh, that says, uh, you, know, th- you know, if you're alive, thank a, thank a heterosexual for, for creating you or, something like, or for being here or something. Like, what is it? Oh, it is. Don't forget to thank a straight person this month for your existence. 
<laughs> I found oh, that and, and yeah, too. and I mean, lesbians get pregnant all the time, and so do uh, people who are confused about their you know sexual identity. I mean, pregnancy yeah. is easy. A lot of people play in all the fields for a while before deciding. But, but the point, uh, but, um, point being that the, yeah, the old-fashioned way, all sexuality, all sexuality yeah. can be celebrated. I think we don't want to yeah. decide that any one person's sexual sexuality is better than the other. I think there is. There is um, in the universe yin and yang. There's uh, there's right. polarity is real. So that drives mm-hmm. our world and our spiritual world. It does. It, the polarity drives it. Um, but there is room for diversity also. So of know. course there is. But don't you find it interesting yeah. that a lot of heterosexuals reacted very positively? In other words, they don't feel, I guess, that the, being represented enough. It's, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, I posted yeah. like well, just they need for to fun. do their own research also. They need okay. to do their own work. You can't just lay back and say all the media should be about me and all the research and all the attention. You know what? Do your work and make your sex lives and your relationships so sparkling and shining and beautiful that they're an example mm-hmm. to everyone and, and that they're not made fun of. That it's impossible that any media that makes fun of it or makes it less than is seen mm-hmm. as ridiculous. So I don't know. Um, okay. I'm just curious. Yeah. yeah I right. mean, there's a trend. There's a trend happening, but, but we're not part of that, and that's Okay. Well, you know, every no no one is better than the other. I don't think. <laughs> well, I think I've noticed. I happen the trend to be heterosexual, is, uh, and I'm really good at it. <laughs> say that again. I happen to be heterosexual, and I'm really good at it. So I'm pretty well, happy with myself. <laughs> yeah, I've, listen, I've been, you know, practicing as much as possible for most of my life. So you know, it's like oh, yeah, good for you. Practice, practice yeah. makes perfect. Heterosexuals <laughs> are cool. Yeah, right. but but you're it, right. It, I, well, I, I love really... all the fun things you do. You've always got new exciting ideas and. Um, <laughs> And, you know, p- pushing the envelope, challenging the way we think. And I appreciate you having me on. Oh, I love having you on. Are you kidding? You're, you're one of my favorite parts of the week. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what's, what's interesting, because I can, I can I talk. I have to see, run because uh, I've got my doorbells ringing and my kids are waiting uh-oh. for me. Well, just let me look at this. You're, you're the only person <laughs> I can talk life, about with stuff with. Life. Yeah, but you're the person I can talk about this, this with in public. <laughs> this is what makes it so much fun. Oh, anytime. All right, Dorothy. Yes. Communication. Contact points, and then I'll get you, then we'll get you out here. Answer your doorbell. My website's yoniyoon.com, y-o-n-i-y-u-n.com. I offer private and group classes in the Charlotte area. One is starting June 11th. So excited! And I do uh, private coaching as well. And we do workshops around the area. And I have a Facebook, Dorothy Diana. I love to chat with people and hear their feedback and get uh, tagged on articles about uh, sexuality, intimacy, relationships, and masculine and feminine energy. So we, should write a group, we should write a group article, or we should write a group column, you and I. It'd be interesting. That would be fun. All right, Greg, you have a great week, Go. and uh, I'll see you same time, same place next week. Thank you, Dorothy. I always appreciate you on the show. Take care. Have Bye-bye. fun. Bye. See all the stuff we do here? I mean, where are you going to get this kind of variety? You know, I've got um, I've got uh, Warren from uh, New Orleans Wake Up on, on the on the chat here saying all kinds of things about how horrible I am and horrible things about Dorothy. I'm not going to read those comments, right? So that's here. We had this incredible discussion this morning. Uh, first hour, uh, like I say, I had to uh, really keep my, I wanted to keep my, my, my callers uh, strictly on the agenda uh, and then open it up when Jonathan got here. So the, the, most of the stuff here is by design. Uh, it, it's kind of like organized chaos. Uh, there's a time for chaos and there's a time to be more organized. But uh, the things we were discussed, uh, as Jonathan says, you know, it, it, to him, it's better than a lot of his constitutional law classes. That's a huge compliment. 
So I try and bring the absolute best. We, we do not limit anybody. You know, no conversation is dumbed down. I try not to shortchange, shortchange anybody on time. You know, as, as detailed and complex as you want to be, that's fine. If we don't finish it, we'll just pick it up next time. You know, and in that way, I try and bring the absolute best show that we can, uh, especially in things that we're advocating to. Um, and so anyway, on that note, uh, the website you're, you're listening to, blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction, um, our legislative site, which apparently has a little issue right now, I'm going to look into that after the show, uh, is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Our, our contribution site, givesendgo.com slash actionradio. Uh, our, uh, let me see what else I got here. My substack, gregpenglis.substack.com, and my public email is greg at writeyourlaws.com. I never got a chance to play anything today, so I'll play all my announcements, messages, and things like that in our closing classical music piece. And I will see you all tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Central Time with Brianna's uh, Government Inquiry Report. Talk to you then. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't, which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care, and now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gravecare.com. 
That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gracecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Grace Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, WYL, to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.